0: Hey, it's Canzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more, and leave us some feedback. Away we go.
1: Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Canzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> B F F T. Now. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights. Live from Atlanta, here's John Canzano with a bomb-faced
0: truth. It's true. I'm live from Atlanta. We're live from Atlanta. Anna is here along with me. We are in studio at the great 92.9 FM, the game here in Atlanta. The flagship station of the Falcons and the Braves. But for this weekend... It's all about two things in Atlanta. It's about Dragon Con. Oh, yeah, it's getting real. Maybe if you're on social media, you've seen some of the posts. But it's also about this football game that will take place tomorrow right here at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. We're on site. We're going to share some flavor from Atlanta. You're going to hear from some Duck fans who are in Atlanta who are going to call into the show, share their experiences, what they have been doing in the last 24 hours. Dodging dragons on the streets, no doubt. But tomorrow it'll be about football. It'll be about Dan Lanning. It'll be about Oregon. It'll be about whether or not they are ready for the big stage. Oregon, the Pac-12 entry in this matchup, takes on the defending national champion, coached by Kirby Smart. College football in full swing tomorrow. A full slate of games as the Pac-12 will have the Utah Utes In Florida to play another SEC game, we'll take a trip there during today's show. Bill Riley from uh, ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City is on the scene in Gainesville. He'll tell us what he is seeing and what the talk is in the run-up to that game. We'll go back to the Pacific Northwest, and we'll talk to Ian Furness of KJR in Seattle. He had an interesting interview with Pat Chun, the Washington State AD, today. And we'll get uh, an update on what Washington State and Washington are looking at in this opening weekend. But we're going to start right here in Atlanta. Anna, you saw it on the on the streets. Give the good people who are listening to this radio show some flavor of Atlanta.
2: Well, it's a little less humid today. Uh, it, it's actually been raining, which is interesting. Uh but the most fascinating thing that I've seen today I spent much of the day just watching the attendees of Dragon Con and we're talking about everything from pirates to minions to superheroes uh, people holding lightsabers I mean there's the, the 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 spectrum of costuming is far and wide what I have yet to see is an actual Person dressed as a dragon I've seen a lot of dinosaurs and I've seen a lot of just about everything else but uh, nary a dragon in sight yeah yeah
0: no dragons uh, at Dragon Con Uh, which which by the way it it raises a question uh, for you know for people who are diehard football fans there are a lot of football fans that uh, who have uh, come out to this game they dress up they paint their faces they tailgate are they much different than the people who are wearing the costumes and parading around downtown Atlanta dressed up as one of the Pokemon figures or somebody from Game of Thrones or I saw Princess Leia walking around? Uh, there was a, our Uber driver was telling us about one guy he saw that had created the illusion that he could hover and fly. And what he had done was he essentially had a long gown on and underneath the gown, uh, he was riding on one of those hoverboards that has the single wheel, and he was essentially just acting like he was floating over the concrete. I mean, he just thought it was the most amazing thing. But is there not much difference between the rabid passion that fans show during college football season when they follow their teams around the country and tailgate and go to games and, you know, these uh, yahoos who are down on the street here in Atlanta – Dressed up like Star Wars figures.
2: No, I I see what you're saying. There's a common theme there. You know, they all feel passionate enough about the thing that they're traveling to to spend presumably thousands of dollars to get there. They bring specific attire for the occasion, whether it's, uh, you know, green and yellow from head to foot or, uh, you know, corsets (laughs) corsets <laughs> in this case at dragon con so yeah there's a, there's a common theme there but i think the i think the traditional oregon fan will actually make the distinction and say that you know we're we're, we're actually nothing like the folks that are here for dragon con.
0: well what i want to do is i know we have a bunch of duck fans who are in atlanta who are streaming the show listening to the show if you're among them, you can call in at 503-417-7575. I want to hear from you what it's like to be in Atlanta. If you're back in the state of Oregon, I want to know what you're thinking and feeling about this game. How confident are you that Oregon can stay on the field with Georgia? How confident are you maybe that Oregon can be in this game? I've picked Oregon to be in this game. I think it'll be a one-score game. I think uh, physically the Oregon offensive line will, uh, will handle itself well against Georgia. I think definitely, uh, you know, there is a, uh, there's a propensity here to look at the size and the physicality of Georgia and all those five-star recruits that they have and, and think that Oregon will get blown off the field. But we've watched Oregon in these games before. The last two times that Oregon has suited up against this caliber of opponent, Oregon has not embarrassed itself. It beat Ohio State last season in Week 2. The year before, it held its own against Auburn at AT&T Stadium. So I want to hear... From Duck fans who are either in the state of Georgia here for this great Georgia, Oregon football game, or back home. What are you thinking and feeling about the game? Now, uh, let's go to Trey, who is on line one. And he is uh he is an Oregon fan who is here in in Georgia. Trey, set the scene for us. What's it been like for you?
3: Oh, it's been great. It's been fun. Um, like we uh like I told you yesterday when we finally met our Margaretville. One thing I love about Atlanta, being a black man, is that I can walk outside, look to my left and right, and see black people without driving around searching. So it's been great. I love Atlanta.
0: Give me what have you been doing? And and by the way, are you seeing the people dressed like dragon figures and walking around downtown? It's it's get. I think it's growing. There's supposed to be sixty five thousand people here.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We've seen them downtown, and I think it's great. I you know I. I I love how the city is vibrant, and there's things to do. There's things going on. That's a, I mean, that's a sign of a strong city.
0: It, you know, Trey, uh, you know, what are you doing between now and game? Or like, what have you guys been doing, sightseeing, walking around? What are you doing to keep busy uh, in the run-up for tomorrow?
3: Yeah, so um, we walked around Olympic Park yesterday, had lunch. Obviously, we, we met yesterday, finally, uh, last night. My wife, my brother, and his wife went to a Braves game, and I will tell you what, really quick, I will tell you what, if Portland can get a baseball team, that'll be next level. The atmosphere yeah. was great. It was crazy live. It was nice. And then so today we woke up, had breakfast at Atlanta Breakfast Club. Shout out, great, uh, great breakfast spot. And we went to the College Football Hall of Fame, and that mm. was, that was wow, speechless, wow.
0: Yeah, give me an idea. College football Hall of Fame. I haven't had a chance to get over there yet. Like, what is that experience like?
3: Oh, it's cool. They, you know, they have a wall for every helmet of every um, college school, and they have a. They got a couple um, displays with Oregon and Georgia displays. When you walk in, um, you have a series of uh, players display, and one of them was Justin Herbert. And if you go to the third level. You have um, just different screens and, diff- and different panels of everybody who's been inducted up to this point. And the biggest thing you got to do at the college Football Hall of Fame is view the 10 minute uh, movie clip in the game day uh, theater experience. It's wild. I mean I mean 10 minutes of a movie clip that talks about game days, your eyes are glued to it the whole time
0: that's phenomenal a lot of duck fans that i have noticed i ran into you yesterday on the streets or in a restaurant and i uh, today we ran into a guy who you know lives like not just a few blocks from us and you know he's out here with his wife for the game and uh, how many duck fans are you seeing
3: uh i i probably stopped counting at at least 500 I, I, it's everywhere you go you see ducks everywhere you go and i tell you what john the people here in Georgia, they know the ducks. They know Oregon. I kid you not, they know Oregon.
0: Give me an idea, Trey. What do you expect to happen? What's the key to the game for Oregon?
3: Couple things. Um, play free, uh, stay within yourself. Um, I wanna uh I wanna I wanna first of all establish a run on defense, stop the run, limit the mistakes. I want to see at least three turnovers by the defense and uh, special teams. Um, in In a game like this, there's not a possession that we can walk away from points, touchdown or field goal, either or. But we cannot walk away from points and special teams. We need to uh, every single kick. We need a we need a touchback, or at least, very least, um, pin, them in, pin them in their own uh, territory.
0: You sound like a coach now, Trey. I appreciate you, man. I. I'm glad you're having a good time. So the baseball yeah. game it sounds like it was a blast. Like that is a oh. re- Atlanta's done a really cool thing for people who don't know. Peter knows this; he's a big Braves fan. But they, uh, you know, they built a ballpark in the suburbs. They didn't go downtown, and they yeah. went a little smaller. Did it feel cozier to you?
3: Oh, it was nice. I was, we were very comfortable. And the biggest, the, the best part about it, is they had they had this entertainment district. It's like two or three streets just full of bars and restaurants and they just they got a lot of stuff going and in between innings um they, they did things um to, to keep it lively they had a guy walk walking around to different parts of the stadium and just kind of give a shout out to the team uh they got fireworks it was it, it was crazy it, it was fun it was nice. fun. And, and and that's why if Portland could get a baseball team it would be next level i mean it's i and i'm not even a baseball guy but i i had a great time
0: you and I be splitting some season tickets if that happens, Trey. Hey, I I appreciate you. It's great to meet a longtime listener uh, in Atlanta. Enjoy the game tomorrow with your family, and I uh, appreciate you calling in.
3: Hey, just one more thing, John. Hey, I just yeah. want to say thank you to you and your wife yesterday for taking the time to talk. Um, and just th- thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time.
0: Well, you know, it was a, it was a thrill for us, too. I mean, it, it's always good to put a face to a... Twitter follower and diehard listener. And Trey Trey had messaged me and said, Hey, I'm going to Atlanta. And he's literally the first Duck fan that I meet in Atlanta. (laughs) Like, that is how wild that was to uh, get a chance to meet him. So I appreciate meeting him. And that experience, like, look, I'm not kidding people. Like, the two things that I am thinking about right now are how many Duck fans we have seen in the last 24 hours walking around downtown Atlanta. And literally the sea of people. There's a parade tomorrow for the Dragon Con convention. And there's a sea of people dressed up in costume. And I don't know how people are going to get to the football game and get to Mercedes-Benz Stadium with that parade going on. And I know the parade begins at about 7 a.m. Pacific time. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of loitering right now on the city streets by princess leia and the stormtroopers hovering and,
2: hovering too yeah a
0: lot there's a lot of this going on all right uh coming up uh, we're going to take a trip to uh the northwest corner of the country we're going to go talk to ian furness of kjr radio in seattle about the pac-12 conference we'll talk about the expanded playoff big win for the pac-12 if you ask me also later in the show we'll go to gainesville florida as the Pac-12 has a game against an SEC opponent. For those of you just tuning in, I'm taking you with me to Atlanta. We are in the great studios here in downtown Atlanta of 92.9 FM, the flagship station of the Falcons and the Braves. They uh, have been gracious enough to let us use their studio in the last couple days so that we could bring you uh, and your family and friends to Atlanta with us. The Ducks and the Bulldogs tomorrow at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Up next, though, we talk about the Pac-12 conference at large and what this expanded playoff means.
1: This is the BFT in the ATL, presented by Jamba. Smoothies, juices, and bowls. Jamba is always the right play on 750, The Game.
0: I'm in Atlanta, Midtown Atlanta, to be specific. I'm in the studios of 92.9 FM, the uh, sports station here that is the dominant sports station. Uh, I want to talk to another radio friend. You can blame this guy if you don't like hearing me on radio. Ian Furness, back in the day, made a mistake. He brought me on as a guest on his show on another station. And then he, uh, he encouraged me, which is a dangerous thing. He encouraged me. He said, hey, you could do this. You just need to learn the formula of it and... Uh, blocking and tackling, so to speak, and here I am 17 years later hosting my own show, and I'm bringing on KJR's Ian Furness, also voice of the Kraken. He's joining us. He's on his way to a uh, very important game as we speak. How you doing, man?
4: You know, I was laughing as I heard you say that. I was thinking when I was in Salt Lake before I got to Portland, I was a program director for a a minute, and I put two guys on the air in the morning, and 24 (laughs) years later, they're still on the air there, too. i I do a better job of making sure other guys have good careers in my own sometimes. I think. But, <laughs> uh, good, to be, good, good to be on with you, man. Good to be on You're with not you.
0: doing bad yourself, my friend <laughs> with the, uh, first of all, what has it been like for you with the Kraken and, in, in your own show and in, in Seattle on KJR and, and all of that, man, exciting stuff with the NHL.
4: It, it, it was, it was weird. I mean, I, I'm the fill in guy. I'm kind of, uh, I'm like the quad a baseball player. I guess that'd be the, you know, the, like can't maybe would be my name. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I got called up a couple times last year to do uh, to do some cracking games on the radio. Uh, the, the, the television guy, John Forslund, does some TNT stuff, uh, so they bump guys around. The radio guy got sick and, uh, with COVID, but, yeah, I'm kind of – I'm, I'm the, the backup to the backup. I'm just the backup, I guess. I'm number three in the depth chart. So, yeah, uh, you know, it was fun. I mean, I'm really busy with – you know, last year after a year of not traveling – I've been traveling covering the Seahawks for Fox 13 for, I guess, 13, 14 years now. So, you know, we didn't do that in 2020, but we, you know, we do it every year, including this year again. So I, I, I'm enjoying the last weekend at home. I'm going to watch my kid play a small college football game back east on a live stream here in a minute. And then after that, I'm on the road for the next uh, four or five months.
0: I, I love that you're going to get a chance to see your kid play a game. It's making me feel old, though, as well. Uh, you had a guest on your show, on your show today, Pat Chun, the Washington State yeah. Athletic Director, joined you. It was a really interesting interview. I listened to parts of it. He did not hold back. What did you take away well, from that interview?
4: Well, you know Pat uh, really well too, John, and and you know I, I think the, the, I think Washington State. Is in such good hands with him. I think Scott Barnes does a great job at Oregon State. You know, I mean, We have some really good athletic directors in the Northwest uh, that are kind of overseeing what's going on in a, in a really tumultuous time. What I got out of Pat Chun was this was a really good day for the Pacific, I guess we'll call it what it is, the Pac-10 Conference. And now especially, obviously, teams that may not be in line to move on to the Big Ten or what have you, Specifically, Oregon State, Washington State, but I think overall, and and he said point blank, it's a it's a, this is a good day. This is a good thing for this conference. Uh, the college football playoff restructuring, the expansion of it, meaning the Pac-12, Pac-10 championship game in years to come will more than likely, unless the conference just lays an egg that year, and that's on them if they do that. But more than likely, that will always be for a burst in the college football playoff. That makes that title game more lucrative. Media rights deals become more lucrative. Today was a good day. And then, you know, the other part I got, just to paraphrase, I don't have the quote in front of me, but, you know, he was pretty critical of UCLA and USC and how they handle things. Uh, in fact, at one point took a shot at them saying, you know, well, the one thing we can say is we didn't lose anybody to another conference that actually has been to the college football playoff, which is a shot <laughs> right directly at UCLA and USC since the only schools we know that have been there are Washington and Oregon. So it was a it was an interesting uh, day. I asked him about being – the trust factor, and that's kind of where he took a shot at USC and UCLA, and he talked about the trust that he has to have with, you know, with Jen Cullen and and Rob Mullins and the other ADEs and, and vice versa. And I think that the conference is in a good place. I, I don't know if you would agree with me. I think the conference as a whole with the leadership that's left at the 10 schools is a good place. And I think because of what happened today, knowing that you're pretty much guaranteed a seat at the table and your media rights deals just got more lucrative, I think I think it's a good day if you want to see this conference stay together.
0: Uh, Ian Furness, KJR Radio in Seattle, with us. Uh, I agree with you. I think you know there are two things that matter right now to the to the major programs: it's revenue from media rights, and it's access to the playoff. Yeah, the Pac-12 just mm-hmm. took care of that second part. Do you think, in your mind, that this slows the talk of Oregon and Washington to the Big Ten?
4: I do. Now, I I will say that I always have to kind of take a step back because you're probably like me. You listen to and you hear from directly a lot of fans for those two schools. You more so Oregon, obviously me, so more so Washington. But having worked in both markets, and I know they hate when you say this, but it's true, Oregon fans and Washington fans, you are one and the same. You're the same person. You are exactly the same person, and that person is delusional and and really has no concept of reality in any way, shape, or form, that's not a bad thing. That makes you a fan. You're, you might as well be an SEC fan. What I mean by that is this. <laughs> they still think that they can just waltz into the Big Ten, roll through a couple Big Ten championships, I'll say they being Oregon and Washington fans, roll through a couple Big Ten championships, knock off Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan State, etc., and and cruise into a play. No, no, no. Your path to get to the, uh, a CFP is, far easier in the Pac-10, especially just – I wasn't a math major at Wazoo, John, but 10 as opposed to 16, isn't that a better chance to win the conference? I think. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, and I, I think it slows it down If for that reason. Now, there's like you said, there's two parts of it. The other part's revenue. But what will the revenue look like now when your conference championship game becomes that much more lucrative and that much more important to a network, probably ESPN? It's an ESPN-centric deal, as you well know. You and Wilner have done a phenomenal job. I love the podcast, talking about this. What ESPN tells you to do is what you will do. I have a feeling that ESPN is going to dictate whether they expand this conference or not, but I don't think there's any reason for Oregon and Washington to leave. In fact, the other thing I would wonder is if I'm UCLA specifically, am I having buyer's remorse right now?
0: Yeah, yeah, because I think – you know, you look at what is Gonzaga's advantage in the WCC. It's that they can be the big fish in the small pond. They can get to the NCAA yeah. tournament just about every year as the automatic qualifier. That automatic bid in the Big Ten, you've got to go through everybody to get there. I think uh, it it probably makes Oregon pump the brakes. There's still a revenue piece out there. But these playoff spots are going to be worth north of $50 million apiece. Like, I think it could, could get close to $100 million for these playoff berths. And I think the right. Pac-12 is probably going to explore uneven sharing of the playoff revenue, meaning if you get to the playoff, you get to keep a larger percentage of that. So I think there's a, there's a model or a formula here that could make it very lucrative to the members that stay behind in the Pac-12.
5: Well,
4: and I think that's what Pat Chen was alluding to as well when I, when I had him on the show today. I, you, know, there's, you know, I think when you when you look at that bigger picture, like you just said, there are some things that, you know, in the world that we lived under Larry Scott where it was 100%, you know, equal distribution of revenue, which was completely different than when the conference before the, you know, before they went to 12, and it used to be before the Pac-12 network, the ill-fated Pac-12 network, everything else, remember it used to be, hey, you're on TV, national TV, you get a bigger cut, so USC always got more money. When they switched that and it was equal revenue distribution, well, you know, USC and UCLA have been stewing on that for the last decade plus, right? You should get more if you earn more to a certain extent, right, like if you get to the playoff. I, I don't think any athletic director or school president would have a problem. In fact, I'll, I mean, uh, I believe Kirk Schultz is on that college football playoff to me, right, Washington State? Yes, yes, yes. he uh, President. Well, think about that for a second. It's, what do you think his agenda was on that? It was to make sure the Washington State and the Oregon State of the world were taken care of. And if that means, hey, Oregon gets the CFP, they get more money than Oregon State and Washington and Washington State and Stanford and Cal that year, heck, yeah, they should, right? Shouldn't they get more? They, they earn their way there. It's still good for the conference and better for the conference. I'm sure they can. We have a commissioner now that has a vision. You have people like Kirk Schultz in positions of power that understand college athletics. Like I said, four great athletic directors in the Northwest. I, I think we're in good shape there. I'll just take a step back. I'm more curious right now about whether or not this conference does indeed pursue expansion. Like, does it make sense, or does it make more sense to say, hey, we're going to get X amount of money from ESPN and whatever deal we do for media rights"? And, John, if we get that and there's ten teams, we play a nine-game conference schedule, you play everybody, there's no complaining, oh, you know, Washington didn't have to play Utah and USC, which, by the way, they don't this year. Uh, You know, you get that. No complaining, and then you play your three non-conference games. It's all equal, 10 teams, West Coast time slots. seems to make a lot more sense, and then you have a better chance to get in the playoff. And, heck, maybe even could you imagine two Pac-12 teams, Pac-10 teams in the college football playoff? Maybe that's possible as well.
0: Yeah, if you look at last year's rankings, Utah would have been in. Oregon would have been the 14th team, so they would have just missed it. But how about this one, Ian Furness? Uh, Let me throw this at you because I do think this is something – that the Pac-12 is discussing right now. They are talking about going from nine conference games down to eight, but they right. would fill that additional week with a crossover game against the ACC. ESPN creates some new value, some matchups they like, like, you know, Miami going to Oregon or, you know, Florida State going to Washington. You get some you get some additional revenue out of that. And you also get a chance for your conference to play a crossover and show, hey, we can hold our own against the ACC. Like we deserve a second team in the playoff. Do you support that, or does it get hairy for you?
4: I, I, okay, I would support it. I think the. I've had this discussion with Pat Shun. I had this discussion when Bill Moose was was at Washington State, and and multiple times, and with Moose, it was on and off the air because it's. I, I think one of the, the one of the strangest most really the dumbest thing, to, to make it simple, one of the dumbest things in college sports is college football scheduling. We schedule a decade in advance or more. And because they do that, your schedule, it's really difficult. And Bill used to always talk about it, and Pat will say the same thing, is that the problem you run into is that nobody wants to come out west. So like if, like what you said there about the eight games, okay, I'm, I'm all for eight games, but you better have a partner that will play ball and be – contractually yes. obligated to do so because to do i know my yeah i know my school of wazoo has lost a lot of games over the years where it's like hey we're going to go to wisconsin and wisconsin's going to return the game and then they just buy their way out of it and never do oregon state suffers that same fate i'm sure they'll tell you the same
0: thing yeah. right it's, arizona it's, in fact arizona fun. state arizona state ian gave yeah. me the the biggest pushback because they said what they're running into is they're getting uh, the, you know, trying to fill their non-conference games. They're being asked for a million to a million and a half dollars from some of the mid-major programs that w- that they're asking to play them.
5: <laughs> hey, c- hey,
4: Central Michigan, you stay in your lane, man. You're not getting a million dollars. Hey, <laughs> I, but that's the problem. That That is the problem you run in into. You need to do revenue split, whatever it is. However you work that out contractually where, and, and, you know, it can be like versus like. It doesn't have to be like versus like. It could be Wake Forest coming to Oregon and Wazoo has to go to Florida State, whatever it might be, right? Like it doesn't have to be, you know. Yeah. Maybe you just do match up the teams. I mean, the easy thing you match up the teams per standings the, the year before, right? And and then that's what it is, and, and make sure, but make sure it's equal because, you know. And it was. I would think I love the idea again. The contractually thing, the contracts the hard thing because we got all these contracts. You see these things. You see a John in the offseason. These schools release, hey, we're going to play so and so in twenty thirty one. Super. Like I hope I'm around at 2031. You know, I'm 60 years old. But I mean, like, like it just doesn't make sense. But again, scheduling out west is really hard, and that's why we see the games that we often see out west. You know, like the like the NAU Arizona State game last night. I love Chris Ball at NAU. Good dude, great coach. Like, what do we get out of that? Nothing. Idaho's playing Washington State. 93, 93rd time they've been playing it. That's fine. You do that, but you do that of necessity because you can't find you know, another Mountain West school or something like that to play. So I, I love that idea, John. If they can make it work contractually and force teams to not buy their way out, then it makes all the sense in the world as well.
0: Ian Furness is with us. You can catch him on KJR in Seattle, also on Fox 13 in Seattle. Hey, before I cut you loose, let's let's talk uh, two things. Mariners uh, look like they yep. are a legitimate MLB team. They're having fun. They're winning. And then the Seahawks... Um, what kind of year is this going to be for Seahawks fans, Furness?
4: John, we're living in a strange world up here. I I, I don't know. I'm trying to wrap my arms around what's happening in Seattle. We're living in a world in which our soccer team, which has never missed the playoffs, is on the verge of missing the playoffs. Our baseball team, which never goes to the playoffs, is all but in the playoffs. And our football team may have its second consecutive losing season, which hasn't happened since 2011. Strange times, man. I don't know. I, the Mariners are legit. I mean, you, you know baseball. You're a Baseball rider Association of America member. I know that. You, you know baseball. They, they have probably the best one through five rotation in baseball right now, and they've been healthy all year. Kirby doesn't have any innings limits on him, and he's arguably your second-best starter, You know, maybe your third at worst. Castillo is the number one guy. Uh, Robbie Ray's a Cy Young Award winner. Marco Gonzalez was your opening day starter, John, and he is no better than your fifth starter right now, and that's not because he's been bad. It's just because there's five guys ahead of him, including Logan Gilbert, who's number four. They don't score a lot of runs. Their offense isn't great if Julio and Ty France aren't going, but you don't score against them. Their bullpen is lights out. They're built for the playoffs. I mean, a three-game series, you roll out Castillo, Ray, and either Gilbert or Kirby, that's a winner. Like, like that, that that wins a series for you just like that. So, they're legit. The Seahawks, last I checked, you need a quarterback in the NFL, and they don't have one. Uh, Gino is a journeyman, he's a the backup. Uh, they're not nailing it in. That's not the Pete Carroll mentality. And I really, really like their roster makeup outside of that position. It feels a little bit like 2011 when Tavares Jackson started, and then they, they hit, you know, gold the next year with Russ. I think they're a year away and one quarterback away from being a really good football team, but they just don't have a quarterback.
0: Ian Furness, you're the best. Thank you for getting me started in this business. You uh, travel safely. Good luck to your kid tonight.
4: Thanks, John. Take care, buddy. See you.
0: There he is from KJR in Seattle. I'm in Atlanta. We're going from sea to shining sea on today's show. Uh, Coming up uh, top of the hour, we'll go to Gainesville, Florida, where utah and florida are preparing but up next we're going to talk about stars not the stars in the sky the stars on the football field how many four and five star players do oregon and georgia have suiting up and why does that matter we'll talk about that next
1: live from atlanta this is the bald Face truth with john canzano on 750 the game
0: I'm in Atlanta, Midtown Atlanta, in the studios of ninety two point nine Fm uh, Falcons and Braves flagship station here in Atlanta. A lot of buzz about the Oregon, Georgia game, a lot of buzz about the stars. Anna is in studio with me here uh, on uh, on location.
2: What have you been up to, Anna? Just getting ready for tomorrow. I'm super amped. like i I, I don't know about you, but, I get really excited, like watching, you know, the Ducks. They do a fantastic job of marketing the team. So all the sizzle reels that they're putting on Instagram and getting, you know, even the casual fan like me interested, like I'm super stoked for the game.
0: I wrote this morning about Marcus Mariota. He is the quarterback of the Falcons here in Atlanta. People, a lot of people asking about Mariota when they find out you're from Oregon or you covered him when he was in college. They want to know about him. But I wrote about Mariota and the underdog role that he has assumed here in Atlanta. Like, it's not the ideal situation for him to step in and, and be a starter, but it is a starting job in the NFL. If you want to read that, you can get it at johnkanzano.com I also wrote about Chance Nolan this morning. Uh, you know, Oregon State's quarterback, I think, gets a bad rap. I'll tell you more about that later in the show, but Chance Nolan, when you look at his numbers, they are uh, indicative or reflective of the success that Oregon State has. As Chance Nolan goes, so do the Beavers. As much talk about the run game that we have, uh, it's that quarterback. If you want to read that, grab a free subscription or a paid subscription at johnkanzano.com I want to talk about the stars. Not the stars in the sky, but the stars on the field. Uh, when we look across the football field on Saturday, Oregon will have 52 players that have ranked with four or five stars according to 24-7. So they rank seventh in college football. they got 52 players that have attached either four or five stars to their, to their name, so to speak, in the recruiting world. Um, that's one more star than the 2019 LSU team that had Joe Burrow. And we all know that that team played deep. I, I'm, I'm a little skeptical that stars are being handed out now the way that they used to be. I think they give out more stars now because they know that fans get excited when they see stars. So I think there's a little skewing going on there. But if you compare apples to apples in this era, Oregon has 52 four-, five, four and five-star players. Georgia uh, is sitting number two on that list with about seven more. And it's interesting for me to hear people talk about Oregon not in the same terms as an SEC program, when Oregon has the recruiting numbers that put it at about fourth or fifth in the SEC. I want to know what that's about. Steven, you're back in studio. Sean, you're back in studio. Oregon, as much as anybody in the Pac-12, could hold its head high in the recruiting world. Give credit to Mario Cristobal, mostly. But why don't the SEC fans respect it? That's a good question. I don't know why, because
6: the, you are right. The recruiting numbers are there. Uh, they are one of the higher recruiting teams in the nation, not just the Pac-12, but the nation. It does seem a little weird. I, you know, I've talked to some people that are down there uh, that are that know a lot of Georgia fans, and they aren't even taking it seriously that they're playing Oregon. It's it's like an FCS team is what they compared it to. So I really don't know what the reason would be. I think it's just because the personality of people on the West Coast, maybe we're laid back, stuff like that, that we don't care. I think that just has to do with that. We're kind of soft. I I think it's just a lot of, uh, a lot of, what am I, I forget the word I'm looking for, but, uh, you know, just a lot of things that we are known for. I think it just just, gets thrown out at
7: us. I yeah. think it's all about the playoff. You know, I think, you know, Oregon, you're right. Credit Mario Cristobal. I would even say credit Willie Taggart. You know, I think Willie Taggart started this trend at Oregon of proving that the Ducks can recruit with the best especially on the West Coast, but I think, you know, Oregon maybe isn't taken as seriously because they have had some success, but they always lose that big game every year. And, you know, I think the 2019 team should have made the playoff. You know, they had all sorts of talent on that squad and they fell short of the playoff and you you know, I think if you're a Pac12 team, you're, you're on the West Coast. I think from the SEC perspective, you know if you're not in the playoff, then you know you're uh, like the Pac 12 hasn't made it since 2016, and I think that's where the uh, the lack of respect comes from.
0: Yeah, I think you may be right. We talked to a big Georgia fan today and I, and I asked him and he said, look, um, I said, is this a big game for you guys? And he said, every game's a big game for the Georgia fans. And, but th- he's really looking to the SEC season to find out if Georgia's going to be any good. And I think that's a really interesting point because, look, Oregon has nothing to lose here in this game. They're playing the defending national champions. When you look at five-star recruits, not four and five, but just five-star recruits, Georgia has more in the last five years than any program in the country. They have 16 five-star players that they have signed. Uh, Second on the list, excuse me, they have 30 five-star players since 2016. 30 players. Second on the list is Alabama at 28. Third on the list is Ohio State at 24. So, you know, there's no secret that recruiting success correlates directly with playoff success. But I just think it's interesting. Oregon going to Ohio State last year, they outclassed Ohio State on their own field. So I think a lot of those Oregon players are back. I don't think they're going to be wowed by the bright lights. But, you know, you look over at Georgia – Stetson Bennett, the quarterback of Georgia, wasn't a five-star guy. He was a walk-on, and then he went to a community college, then he went back to Georgia. He was not a highly recruited, highly ranked player. And I think the star system a lot of times um, is designed, I think, for fans. I think to some respect it's designed for coaches. But I've seen players who were like three- or four-star players, and then suddenly they're being recruited by a particular university that's got some notoriety and all of a sudden they elevate to a four or five star player and so i think those systems those that you know the 24/7 that hands out the star system i'd be really curious to see how many stars they're handing out today versus 5 years ago because their subscription based model is is based on generating hysteria and excitement in the fan base and you do that with the star system
6: i think you're right on with that you know fans love the stars you hear, you see a lot of the recruiting stuff, and oh, you know, we got a five star, we got a four star. I don't know. I'd have, to, I need to go. Th- I'm going to go through and try to figure out if that is actually
0: true that they're giving out more stars. But I have heard that. Yeah, I have heard that from people in the recruiting world. They're saying, hey, if you add up the total number of stars, it's not even close. <laughs> but I would be really curious to see like this year's class based, you know, to to 2016 and compare that. But. Oregon's got enough talent to win, right? Are right. We, do we agree with that? Everybody I, yeah. agree?
6: Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, I've said this numerous times. I think Oregon is the most talented team of the Pac 12. And so I think that they can compete in any game against anybody on any given day. And I think that's the best thing about college football. It, I don't necessarily expect them to win this game but i do expect them to compete
7: and to the georgia fans um that aren't taking this game seriously and you know that are looking to the sec schedule i would argue that oregon is the best team on their schedule you know and i think that sounds crazy when you hear it but seriously the sec west is so much better than the sec east the sec west has bama and texas a&m and auburn and lsu and all these great teams Georgia, really, you look at their schedule, it's teams like South Carolina and Kentucky and Florida. I would argue Oregon's the best team on their schedule this year.
2: It's interesting because that fan that was saying, you know, well, all the games are big, in the very next breath, he said, you know, I'm waiting to see what Alabama brings. That, like, that's the, that's the game that's on his marker. And so, personally, I'm hoping that maybe the team at Georgia is already looking ahead to those challenges, and they think that tomorrow's going to be a cakewalk, and maybe they won't take tomorrow as seriously, and Oregon has the opportunity to jump in and surprise everybody. If they
0: overlook Oregon, they're going to get punched in the nose, because I think Oregon's got enough talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball, to make them uncomfortable. But, again, it's a week one game. Weird things happen. Uh, The big splash is coming up. We'll take your phone calls. What do you expect? What do you think going to happen in tomorrow's game? 503-417-7575. You tell me, uh, do you like that Oregon schedules these kinds of games? UCLA, meanwhile, playing Bowling Green and a bunch of cupcakes. Do you like that Oregon takes on this challenge? Oregon getting about $4.5 million from ESPN to play this game. That's a big payday, a big windfall for the Ducks. 503-417-7575. I'm live from Atlanta, Georgia. Tomorrow it'll be Georgia and the Ducks on the football field but for now we're talking about it. Join the conversation.
1: This is the BFT in the ATL presented by Jamba. Smoothies, juices and bowls. Jamba is always the right play on 750. The game.
0: Live in Atlanta. I should say we're live in Atlanta. And do you get mad when I don't when I don't say we're live in Atlanta? You're sitting right here.
2: Yeah, I'm fuming. Fuming.
0: I can tell. Uh, we <laughs> no. are in Atlanta, <laughs> where Oregon and Georgia will be playing. I want to take some phone calls. We'll do our big splash coming up. Let's start with Mark in Portland. Mark in Portland, you got your playoff.
8: Ah, uh, yes, we do. But I have, is the Pac-12 champion an automatic bid? Because if it's not, they shouldn't take that deal.
0: It's yeah. <laughs> here's how it's going to work. It's going to be the top six ranked champions. So in okay. uh, if you look back in the last... Uh, the history of the college football playoff since the inception of it, every year the Pac-12 champion would have been part of the playoff, every year.
8: Okay. I'm, I'm, and, I, you know, I the way this system's set up now, and I know everybody thinks I sound crazy, but the, the, the first game of the year playing Georgia or playing Ohio State last year makes no sense to me because you have to come back and win your conference, and you have to have one loss or less to get in this playoff. So... Last year they won against Ohio State and came back and celebrated, and a couple of weeks later they lost to Stanford. So they made the Ohio State game irrelevant. So it's always going to be, to me, this is an out of conference game. Last year we won the best out of conference game in the history of Oregon football. But still, to me, every conference game is more important, every single one of them. So I'm excited to see what the Ducks look like in the first game. I think realistically, if you're looking at this realistically, they're playing the defending champions. SEC champions on their home field the first game of the year. Last year, Utah, to give you an example, lost to San Diego State and BYU and then got better each week, and that's what football's all about. How do you take this first game, win or lose, and, and improve your football team? But I, I think Georgia's going to win this game. I think Oregon might stay close for a while, but that's a lot to ask in your first game. And I'll tell you what, they they better not come home with a headache because is it, BYU – in two weeks? Cause that's two another weeks, game. yeah. Week three yeah, is we, BYU. Yeah, we could be one and two going into the, the conference uh, schedule. Yeah. But, you know, then it to me it all starts with the conference. And I, I will love it when D1 college football has a traditional playoff like every other sport, men and women on the planet, where the, the conference or division champion controls their own destiny. Until they yeah. do that, it's not real.
0: Yeah, let <laughs> okay. me give you some uh, some comparisons for the Pac-12 uh, the playoff has had eight years that it's been uh, in existence. All eight years, the Pac-12 champion would have qualified as uh, among the top six conference champions. So it's pretty much an automatic bid for the Pac-12 champion. Uh, Ohio State would have made the playoff all eight years. Alabama would have made it seven of the eight years. Oklahoma and Clemson would have made it six of the eight years. Georgia would have got in five times. Then Notre Dame and Penn State would have got in four times each. For the Pac-12 teams, Washington would have got in in three of the eight years. How about that? Oregon would have got in twice, 2014 and 2019. USC would have got in twice. Um, As you go down, Utah would have got in twice. Arizona would have got in. Stanford would have got in. And uh, Colorado would have got in in 2016. If this current 12-team playoff that they're talking about and approved today was in the the works back in the day. So I think it's going to be very favorable to the Pac-12. The key, though, is going to be those top four spots because the top four spots are going to get buys. And then the bottom eight are going to play in the opening week while the top four wait. So I think where we're going to see that bias by conference sort of develop, I think it's going to be around those top four positions And, you know, how accessible are those top four positions to the Pac-12? Because that will be on the playoff selection committee. Let's go to Kevin, who's in St. Helens. Kevin, what's on your mind?
9: Hey, uh, I've been listening in the last few weeks, and I think that uh, one thing's been kind of overlooked. Uh, It's been touched on a few times, and that is this, uh, that the onus is really on uh, Georgia. Uh, Oregon doesn't have to prove they're a national champion because they haven't done that yet. But uh, the Bulldogs have to try to hang on to that, so I think the pressure's on them.
0: I would agree with that. I think uh, I said it earlier, I don't think Oregon has anything to lose. Uh, Stephen, let's cue up the Big Splash. I'll do it rapidly.
3: This is the
1: one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down
3: there. The Big Splash!
0: The college football playoff is expanding. The board of managers voted today to expand to 12 teams. The move is officially slated for 2026, but could happen sooner. This is great for the Pac-12. They're going to get their team, their champion, into the playoff. And that's what it's about. Access to the playoff and media rights revenue. In the world of college football, those are the things that happen to matter the most. All right, coming up, we're going to go to Gainesville, Florida. Bill Riley of ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City will be joining us to talk about Utah against Florida. I'll also ask him what he thinks of Oregon and Georgia at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. That is taking place tomorrow. Again, if you're just tuning in, this radio show is live in Atlanta. We've been here several days. We are bringing you along for the ride. I think Oregon is going to represent itself well tomorrow tomorrow. I'm eager to see Dan Lanning coach a game. I'm eager to see Noah Sewell in that defense and Bo Nix at quarterback. But up next, we go to Gainesville.
1: B-F-F-T. Now, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, live from Atlanta, here's John Canzano with the bomb-faced truth.
0: Well, I am in Atlanta. I've been here for several days. I'm doing this radio show uh, in midtown Atlanta, and uh, I am uh, gracious uh, to the hosts that uh, have hosted us here at 92.9 FM. Uh, Our good friend from ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City, Bill Riley, meanwhile is also in SEC country. I went on his show today, airs in Salt Lake City. He's the voice of Utah sports. Bill Riley joining us. He's in Gainesville. Set the scene. What's going on in Gainesville? Gainesville is hot,
4: it's humid, shocking we're in the south, and uh anxious. Uh, a lot of Utah fans here John expecting anywhere from 12 to 15,000 Utah fans bought up their allotment of tickets from the U, bought a bunch from U from Florida, bought a bunch on the secondary market. They've closed in on this town, and uh, the Florida fans are out in full force tonight too. So uh, I think tomorrow's going to be a lot of fun here, and we're going to learn a lot about Utah in the first game of the year.
0: Yeah, I think you know Oregon fans are, feel like they have nothing to lose in this game. Is Utah playing with different stakes, or do the Utes feel a little bit like they're they're playing with house money as well? No, I, I think the stakes are different,
4: John. I, I think Utah, after what they did a year ago and what they bring back this year, I think they feel like their stakes are a little bit higher. They want to defend the Pac-12 championship, but they want to, you know, they've got a schedule and a resume potentially that could set up if they take care of business to perhaps take that step into the playoffs. Something nobody's done since Washington back in 2016, and obviously Oregon in 14. So Utah would love nothing more than to be the third playoff team to represent the Pac-12 in the postseason. But they know they've got some work to do, and if if they if they lose tomorrow against Florida, uh, that task becomes a little bit harder. So I think they feel like their stakes are a little bit higher.
0: The questions for Utah this season, you come out of camp, what are the questions for the Utes? Uh,
4: Questions for the Utes coming out of camp, I would say probably special teams might be one of the bigger questions, because they're generally very good at Utah. Last year weren't very good. You might be able to make a case that maybe cost them two games last year. The Rose Bowl, they had to drop punt. Um, They've got to fill the, the void left by Devin Lloyd. That was a big void. He's playing in Jacksonville now. And uh, you know, can Cam Rising, who was really good a year ago, can he take that next step to be not just a really good quarterback, but maybe an elite quarterback, and help lead Utah to the next? That's probably three storylines we're keeping an eye on.
0: The you know Kyle Whittingham, I think I think he did a spectacular thing last year in bringing that team and bringing it through tragedy, two player deaths, uh, and getting it playing great football down the stretch. But I think it's equally impressive that he somehow, after winning the conference champion, after getting to a Rose Bowl, convinced his team that there's unfinished business. How did he do that?
4: You know, I don't know if he if it was him or the guys, because, you know, it's funny. They win the championship. They beat Oregon a couple of times pretty handily. They get to the Rose Bowl. They go toe-to-toe with Ohio State. And most of us were like, what a game. But when you talk to the Utah players, guys like Rising and Kincaid and Keithy and Thomas and Phillips, they didn't view that as, a, as an unbelievable, exciting football game. They viewed that as a loss. They are like, we let ourselves down. We wanted to win the Rose Bowl. And I think they kind of talked amongst themselves and said, hey, you know, if we come back together, as good as last year was, we might be able to go a step further. So, you know, it, it's a cliche term in college athletics, but I, I think these guys, I don't think Kyle had to do any of the convincing, job. I think the players themselves looked at it and said, we've got unfinished business.
0: This game will be big for the Pac-12. I think a whole bunch of teams in the Pac-12 are rooting for Utah. How are you feeling about it? I, I'm picking Utah to, Utah to win the game, but, Bill, how are you feeling about this game?
4: I, I feel pretty good about it. This is a good Florida team. Now, it's it's a te- team in transition. Um, Billy Napier didn't exactly inherit empty cupboards here. This was This was a good – there was some talent here, but the culture was bad, and they had some misshapen pieces and they've got a quarterback who's a great talent, but he's really unproven, great athlete, unproven. So Utah's pretty dialed in, and I, I'm around this team an awful lot, and there's, there's a little bit of a quiet confidence, kind of like I sensed in both that Oregon game and the, and the, and the Pac-12 championship game about this. So I, I feel like Utah's in a good position. I think they're the better team. The one equalizer, John, as you know, can be turnovers. If you put it on the ground you throw it to the other team, that can be a great equalizer. But if Utah plays a game like they played in Salt Lake or in Las Vegas against Oregon, where they get that early lead, and to be very fair, you know this, Anthony Brown wasn't the best passer a year ago. He was a good, elusive athlete. I kind of feel like Anthony Richardson's kind of that same way right now, early in his career. If Utah can make Florida play a little bit from behind, I think they'll be in a good spot. If they play a clean game, I think they could be in a good spot. But if they don't and they turn it over and the crowd stays in it, I think this could be anybody's game in the second
0: half. Bill Riley, our guest, ESPN 700. He's in Gainesville, Florida, where Utah and Florida will be playing. Florida's very good at home. Uh, Utah uh, will have to go in and disrupt them, 32 straight for Florida at home at the Swamp. Uh, What gives you the confidence that this team uh, can go in there, Bill, and play that kind of game?
4: Uh, just based on really where they've been, John, the, the, the core of these guys, you know, one of the questions about this team in the off season by some of the national folks was, you know, can Utah handle the expectation of being the hunted and not the hunter and not have that chip on their shoulder? And I said, well, you know, this group of guys, this group of juniors and seniors has played in three of the last four Pac-12 championship games. They won it a year ago. They overcame that adversity you talked about at the top And they were really good in the Rose Bowl. And this is a talented team. So I don't think that the stage is going to be too big for them. You know, crowd noise and humidity, everybody wants to point to those exterior factors. But at the end of the day, they're a better, more talented team than Florida is. And it's very rare that Mother Nature beats you. It's very rare that humidity is going to beat you. So I think that these guys have been building toward this. I think on paper they're the better team. As long as they play their game tomorrow, I feel like they'll probably come out with a W. Could be close, but we'll see.
0: The rest of the Pac-12, uh, you know, Boise State, Oregon State's a big game for the conference. Oregon, Georgia's a big game. Bill, give us an outside-in perspective on Oregon, Georgia.
4: Um, I think this is going to be a closer game than the odds makers I don't know what the I think the last line I saw, John, was about seventeen and a half. Yeah,
0: it's right There's there. There's a
4: lot of talent. There's a lot of talent. Mario, you say what you want about Mario Cristobal, but he recruited really well. And there's a lot of talent on the defensive side of the football led by Noah Sewell. And I think the offense has got some guys, too. Now, I don't know you know, what, what Bo Nix will do. He was a little erratic in his SEC career. I don't think the stage will be too big for him because he's played Georgia before. But I, I just think you know, Georgia lost a lot. There was a lot of talent that left. They're a really good team. But I, I just have a hard time seeing a guy like Lanning Who's a who's a really good coordinator? Who kind of maybe knows some of the state secrets with Georgia, and a in a an Oregon team that's got a lot of talent and a lot of pride. I have a hard time seeing them getting beat by double digits. I, I think it'll be a closer game. I think it probably is somewhere within a touchdown to ten points. I'd be surprised if it's not competitive through at least three quarters.
0: The playoff expansion is that getting talked about by the Utah fans and and uh, in your world.
4: A little bit. I mean, we the, the story kind of broke during my show today, right after you know I, I had you on this afternoon. Um, I think it's a it's a somewhat of a big story. Um, you know, I, I I think it's it's good for a conference like the Pac-12. Um, I looked at the numbers last year, and the Pac-12 probably would have only had Utah in last year, but it was a little bit of a down year last year. But you know, so many people are out there saying, well, the reason they're expanding is the SEC wants more teams in. If you based it on last year's model, John, the SEC would have had three. The Big Ten would have had three. Um, the, the Big 12 would have had two. And then there was the Pac-12, the, S, the ACC, and Notre Dame. So, And I think that's kind of where, where it would go. I, I think the expansion is good. I think people are excited because I think in good years, that maybe a year like this year, if Utah's good, if SE's good, if Oregon's good, the league can get multiple teams. I think that's what you want.
0: We're talking to Bill Riley, ESPN 700. What does Cam Rising, your quarterback at Utah, need to do tomorrow to win this game?
4: Uh, I think he needs to be the guy who he is, the leader of the team, the calming influence. And I think, if again, going back to what I said earlier, I think if he plays his game, um, I think that's good news for Utah. I think what you're going to see, too, John, is they didn't take a lot of deep shots a year ago. Cam's arm was back, but it wasn't quite 100%. Um, the deep ball has been a big part of what Utah's done in fall camp. They feel like they've got a couple of guys, including Devon Vele, who can stretch the defense. So I think the next iteration of this Utah offense is going to be using those tight ends, running the football, and pounding it. But I think you'll see Utah be a little bit more aggressive in the deep game this year and take some more shots down the field, and that's predicated on Cam Rising.
0: Bill Riley, again, is in Gainesville, Florida. It'll be Utah and Florida in a big game for the Pac-12. Bill, is it too much... To put the pressure on Utah, the pressure of the conference, put a you know, plant a flag in the ground, show that the Pac-12 can can play the SEC, and you know, if Utah somehow doesn't win this game, uh, does that does that unravel or cave in on the Pac-12?
4: Well, I mean, I, I, you know, people on the outside will look in, kind of like when Oregon got beat by Auburn a few years ago, ironically by Bo Nix. I think outside people will say, well, look again, the Pac-12 can't win on the big stage. I don't think it's a season-ending loss for Utah. It just makes their ultimate goals a little bit more difficult if they want to try to reach the playoff. But I don't think it's too much pressure. Hey, you want to play? does Alabama ever talk about having too much pressure on them? Does Ohio State ever talk about having too much If you want to be an elite program, part of that deal, John, is having pressure. You're the guy with the target on your back. So you can't say you want it and then be, be fearful of it if you get it. So... I don't think Utah's that way. Kyle Whittingham certainly isn't. Cam Rising isn't that way. But, no, I, to answer your question, I, I don't think it's too much to put the pressure on them. Somebody's got to carry it, so why not Utah? The
0: uh, This game, is. does Utah have to do something? Because what I keep thinking about Oregon and Georgia is that Oregon's going to need to make some plays that are maybe a little outside the character of of the talent. They're going to need to create a turnover. They're going to need to make a big play here or there. Does Utah need to do anything special to beat Florida?
4: No, I don't think so. I think it's quite the opposite. I think actually Florida is the team that has to make some of the special and the big plays. I think Utah is good enough to run what they do. They're the better team on paper. Florida's defense was 10th in the SEC last year against the run. Utah likes to run the football. I I think Utah can get by being Utah. I think it's the opposite in this game. I think Florida, with that free quarterback of theirs, Anthony Richardson, has to make a few plays, have to create some turnovers. If this game's played cleanly and and pretty evenly, Utah's going to win it by a couple of scores. So I think it's actually the the big play shoe and the the create the chaos is on the other foot for Florida much more than Utah in this game.
0: All right, outside of uh, Oregon and and uh, Utah, Oregon State's got a big one at home against Boise State. I mean, I think it's a real opportunity for the Pac-12 to go, you know, 2-1 in those three games maybe and, uh, you know, go into week two feeling better about itself than it did last year in the non-conference. Um, all right. So, you know, you get to Gainesville. You look around. You're seeing a lot of Utah fans. Is the mood festive? Does it feel like a bowl week or does, is it, is it a, there's a little anxiety? What's it like?
4: No, Utah fans are excited. This one's been on the schedule for about four years. They've been making plans to come down here, and and I think people are generally excited to experience an SEC atmosphere, experience the Swamp, and and I think it helps when your team is really good. I think Utah would travel anyway because the fans like to make a couple of good trips a year, But, but I think it's a little bit more like a bowl atmosphere because Utah fans know they've got a good football team. And as a result, I think they're expecting to come into the Swamp tomorrow night, hostile atmosphere and all, and see their team come out of it with a W. Now, whether they will or not, that remains to be seen. But I think there's a confidence about Utah fans that, yeah, you're right, this is almost going to be like traveling to a bowl game. So, like I said, I think it's going to be somewhere between about 12 and 15,000 Utah fans that show up here. They love to travel, and I'm sure the Ducks fans are going to do the same thing in Atlanta. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it feels a little bit more like that postseason festive atmosphere.
0: Yeah, Utah has uh, has done it before on a big stage. But here they are with all eyes on them in in week one. All right, after this game, Bill, what's the next biggest game on Utah's schedule?
4: Uh, I'd probably say UCLA. Uh, They've got the Bruins at the Rose Bowl October 8th, and then they back it up with USC at Rice-Eccles on October 15th. So uh, as far as back-to-back games go, going to the Rose Bowl against, I think Chip's going to have a pretty good team this year. I don't know how good their defense is, but offensively they should be really good. And then the next week, you turn around and have SC at home. And I told you earlier this year when I was on with you, I think that game against SC is going to have an atmosphere that rivals that Oregon game at Rice-Eccles from a year ago.
0: I love it. Bill Riley, you stay safe. Have a great game. We'll talk to you soon. There he is from Gainesville. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Sean. There he is, voice of Utah athletics. He's in Gainesville. I wouldn't trade him positions. I'm enjoying the Dragons. I'm enjoying the run-up to the Oregon-Georgia game. I'm live in Atlanta. We're going to play some Punch It! Audio coming up. We'll take more of your phone calls. I want you on record. What's going to happen in this game? What are the factors? If you are an Oregon fan or an Oregon State fan even, you tell me. Do you enter this season with more or less hope, angst, anxiety, excitement? What's your mood? 503-417-7575.
1: The BFT in the ATL. John Canzano is on 750. The game
0: coming up. Bottom of the hour, we'll play some punch at audio. Uh, I want to. Uh, I want to pepper the room with a question I'm having right now, guys. Is there more or less anxiety among the fan bases right now? I feel like there's a little bit more anxiety, and maybe it's a little new for Oregon State as they play a game against Boise State uh, uh, tomorrow night that I think really matters for Oregon State's season. It is a very important game for Oregon State. And Oregon, meanwhile, I don't know if there's as much pressure on Oregon in this opener, given that people don't have the expectation that Oregon is actually going to win this game. What do you guys think?
6: Yeah, I 100% agree. You know, I said this yesterday. I think in this Oregon State-Boise State game, whichever fan base loses is going to go home disappointed and I know that's a spot that Oregon State hasn't necessarily been in in the past few years, but if they want to be taken seriously as you know a top-half Pac-12 team, and John Smith wants to get to that next level where they're competing for Pac-12, Pac-12 titles, they need to beat teams like Boise State, and they especially at home. right? Like Boise State, uh, we, we talked about them the other day. They want to get back to the New Year's Six Bowls. They want to get back to 10, 11, 12-win seasons. They were at 7-5 and five a year ago. I think one of these teams is gonna go home really disappointed and both fan bases are expecting to win. I think that game has a lot of, a lot at stake uh in a week one game.
7: Yeah, I think it's different for both fan bases. I think like Steven said, there's a lot I think there's you know, some pressure on Oregon State and you know, I think they have to start their, their year with a win. If they wanna take a next step up, as a program, this is the game that you have to do it. Not to mention that their schedule is really tough this first half of the season. So if they lose tomorrow, this uh, the beginning of the season can go in a tailspin. Uh, I think for Oregon, you know, it's it's kind of a nothing to lose mentality, and I think you know it's a first year, first game head coach, and you're going up against the defending national champs. So I think there's excitement for Oregon fans just to see what Dan Landing Dan Landings program is about. But I don't think there's an anxiety. I think it's kind of a uh, you know hopefully will stay close and hopefully the team performs well and um you know respects you know puts some respect on the brand and the you know the team but doesn't expect to win much.
0: I, I want to for a moment put those four teams in a room. We've got Georgia and Oregon that will be in the same room tomorrow. We have Boise State and Oregon State. They'll be in the same room tomorrow, so to speak. Let's get all four of those teams in the same room. I think of the four teams, the team that has the most to answer, is Boise State. Andy Avalos is coming off a five-loss season. There's some question at Boise State right now whether that was just a transitional setback or whether or not there's something actually uh, deteriorating inside the program. I think the Boise State fans are a little nervous about it, and they get an Oregon State team that's been playing pretty well, like made a bowl game last year, looks more physically imposing than it does in average years. I think second behind Boise State is Oregon State and because I think Oregon State right now, it you know, they haven't started fast. We haven't seen them win an opener. Jonathan Smith's never been 1-0. He's never been undefeated, and this is new. And so anytime you're doing something new, I think there that comes with a little bit of apprehension, a little bit of anxiety. And so I think that game is going to be a little tighter played, like a little more feel out each other, Uh, you know, let's, let's run the ball here, you know, but, but Jonathan Smith this week when I did my interview with him, he talked about being a little bit of a gunslinger on third and one, fourth and one. And so I look at Oregon state and I kind of wonder if Oregon state might come into this game playing at home where they've been very good under Jonathan Smith and, and just let it rip a little bit. And meanwhile, I think Georgia there's, there's a, there's a chance that Georgia comes into this game you know they've got some inexperienced players i think they have eight new players on defense that have not played a snap as a starter and you have um you know coming off a national championship a lot of sky high expectations a lot of fans i think there's a chance that this Oregon Georgia game is played uh a little more wide open i i just kind of feel like kenny dillingham the oregon coordinator feels like a lot of fans like hey you know there's not a lot to lo- you don't have anything to lose here dan lanning has gone underground this week He's not out doing all the interviews and and talking like he was last week and the week before. I think it's really interesting. I think he's hunkered down trying to do everything he can possibly do. I think, you know, the Duck fans feel like they're playing a little bit with house money. Like nobody, 17.5 point spread, nobody's expecting Oregon to win. You might be hoping that Oregon wins or hoping that Oregon is in this game. I don't think anybody is expecting it, and I think that takes all the pressure in the world off the Ducks. So I'll be really interested to see how these teams perform amid those circumstances. I'll be curious to see if Boise State's quarterback, who has been, you know, very erratic, I'll be curious to see if Oregon State tries to do some things to disrupt him in the pocket. But, Beaver fans, you have to know this. This is a huge game for Oregon State. Like, in two words, it matters. And Oregon State hasn't been playing in games that mattered very often in the last five, six, seven years. So welcome that. Know that you're in a position where, you know, you're going to have a fun football game in Corvallis. And uh, I think it's a really fun time. Like, I'll just speak selfishly. It is a fun time for me to be a sports writer and radio show host. There have been some years where the football wasn't very good. There have been some years where I didn't enjoy the coaches as much. There have been some years where the expectations were kind of, eh, eh, you know. This is, like, we expect Oregon to make a bowl game. We expect Oregon State to make a bowl game. We expect that Oregon will be in this game against Georgia, the defending national champion, Like that, that they will be able to stay on the field in this game. And I expect that Oregon State's going to beat Boise State. These are new times. These are higher expectations. Am I crazy, Anna? I don't think you're crazy at all. You would tell
2: me if I was crazy? Uh, absolutely. That's actually my role in your life okay. is, to, <laughs> is to be the voice of but reason. But you know what I'm
0: saying? Like, when, okay, When you're covering TV news, right, and there's a big snowstorm. Yeah. You get excited for that, or you get a little electricity, or is it like, oh, I
2: love covering snowstorms. Okay.
0: But give me an idea. <laughs> like, like there have to be days or maybe periods of time and bad news cycles. Like, right now. Like, think about the last couple years in downtown Portland. Yeah. I would not have wanted to be a TV reporter who had to go downtown and be in the middle of all that protesting and people and people arguing and the police. Yeah, and, that was exhaustive
2: you know? and dangerous and yeah. not, not fun.
0: But yeah. there have been other times where it is kind of fun.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I guess we get to all kind of take part in that excitement right now. Like, this is a great era as far as uh, for the Pacific Northwest, really. I would go even further because I I just think there's a lot to root for. And when you feel like, like, I think that fans can feel it when you can can feel the enthusiasm across the Pac-12 on behalf of Oregon. Like, these are their opponents that are saying, hey, you know, it would be great for Oregon to do well in this game And to put the Pac-12 on the map, uh, you know, I I think that's very encouraging.
0: I think that there are a lot of Pac-12 coaches who are rooting for Oregon and rooting for Utah and rooting for Oregon State. And Jonathan Smith, I'll just say this, Jonathan Smith told me off air. He said he normally isn't that tuned in to what the other teams in the conference are doing. He's very focused on what he's doing. But he said, you know what, I hope Oregon goes down there and wins. I hope Utah wins. I hope, you know, he said, I hope we win. Like, that would be great for the Pac-12. I think if the defection of USC and UCLA has done anything, it has galvanized the conference in, in that way. And, and Do you ju- think
2: that uh, that's unusual within a conference? I think it is a little bit. Steven, go ahead.
6: Yeah, I was going to say, and with Oregon State, you don't want to lose this game to Boise State because it doesn't get easier, right? No. You you don't want to go in with the pressure at 0-1, going down to Fresno and playing Fresno State in the Bulldogs. That's a, that's a tough game, too. Like, this game is super important, I think, for Oregon State, not only to get to where they want to be, but also maintain themselves as a consistent bowl team.
2: Well, and I think I, you've written in the past about Oregon State and how, in the past, they have been slow starters. Yes. So it's like they they drop a couple games in the first five, and and then they start like to build momentum. And I don't think they have the time to do that this season. They've not, got not to be way hot their schedule out of the lines up. Yeah.
0: Because I actually think week two for them, Fresno State, and I'll be at that game. Uh, I think that's a harder game for them. I I think Boise State at home is a little easier matchup. Not by much, but it's a little easier matchup. Going to Bulldog Stadium where they're going to throw batteries and screwdrivers at you when you're (laughs) trying to walk into that stadium and it's like 95 degrees and you're walking down the hill into the stadium and you see a sea of red, that's not an easy place to play. And oh, you know they've got Jake Hayner at quarterback and Jeff Tedford calling the plays. Like they're dangerous.
6: John, do you so, think do you think Oregon State is in a must win situation here, Week One?
0: I, I I'll put it this way: it matters. Like I keep coming back to that. Like either you know, there are times when I have not felt like games have mattered in this state. Th- this game matters. Like Oregon State. I I don't want to say it's a must win because I think they could lose this game. I think they could even start zero and two and still get to a bowl game and have a nice season. But if they want to go to a really nice bowl game, like you want to go holiday bowl or better, the, the, a 2-0 start puts you in wonderful position if you are Jonathan Smith. Yeah. And it helps you sell tickets. This yeah. is a, you know, they, you know, they only have 26,407 seats. It's a sellout. The USC game is going to be a sellout. The Civil War game is going to be a sellout. They're going to sell out a bunch of games. But then all of a sudden, they're going to have... An ample number of extra tickets available when the west side of that stadium is done next year and you know they want to come off. they want to be coming off a bowl season and a nice bowl season to do that it helps everything I want you to leave it here punch it audio is coming up we'll take a trip around the world of sports I'm broadcasting live from Atlanta Georgia site of the Oregon Georgia football game
1: you've got the home of the truth The BFT with John Canzano, live from Atlanta on 750 The Game.
0: Voice Guys Not Lying. I am in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks to the uh, good people here at 92.9 The Game in Atlanta. They were kind enough to set me up in Studio A, one of their best studios. It's fantastic. Loving this, loving the view of midtown Atlanta and excited about a big football game tomorrow at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. We're talking all about it. We're going to take a trip around the world of sports, catch you up on everything you need to know, and we do it now. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're
4: all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day.
8: You're going to hear little snippets of sound.
1: Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling.
0: Well, the big news today, the college football playoff will be expanding. 2026 is the target date. Could happen sooner. They're going to meet next week in Texas and talk about whether or not they could get this done as soon as 2024. Pete Thamel of ESPN broke the news. He also has the details on the broadcast. What's going to happen with the broadcast rights to this playoff? Here's Pete Thamel. Budget.
1: They have not
4: decided on a contract yet. What's going to happen with this iteration of the playoff that's going to be different than the last one is that with 12 teams, there's been a strong push to bring in two television networks. Obviously, ESPN owns the college football
7: playoff now and broadcasts the three games in the 14 field. At least two revenue partners because yeah. much like the NFL, college football is falling on the NFL path. We see it in how it's formed. And we absolutely. see it how it's
4: televised. Yep. And so the NFL playoffs are now chopped up into multiple different networks. Yep. The college football playoff and Fox and ESPN will obviously be the primary suitors for that, but obviously CBS and NBC have shown renewed interest in college football in the last couple weeks. There's always big Amazon
10: floating out there. (laughs) Apple. We
0: all have these in our hands. Yeah, Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think you're going to see a variety of media partners. Uh, ESPN's probably feeling pretty good about itself because it didn't go in on the Big Ten Conference regular season media package, so they've got some money to spend, but uh, I, I would expect to see very much like in the NFL where Fox or CBS or ESPN All have participated, NBC, over the years. I think you're going to see that model. Uh, I don't know if the streamers will be a giant player, but I could see them grabbing uh, an early round or a quarterfinal game. I think it's interesting. I think it opens a lot of doors. But it raises some questions, too. As in, will we really get new winners? Or will it be the same old, same old? Desmond Howard, David Pollock talking about it.
1: Oh heck yeah! I I do. I I think it's awesome. Listen, it sucks for. I mean, look at
3: at this. Right, exactly. Look
0: at this. Exactly. I mean,
1: you're still going to get a lot of buys from the top four teams that you would have had this past year. But Notre Dame and Pitt, Ohio State and Utah, Baylor and Michigan State. It'll be fun to watch. And then listen. I don't think to be clear. Uh-huh. I don't think this changes the outcomes at all. I think we're still going to get the same teams that are winning the championship and it's the same teams we debate every single year, but I do like that it'll be more teams in the college football, more exposure, more fun for those players.
3: I- I've never been a big fan of expansion simply because I never really wanted student athletes to play more games, right. you know yeah. what I mean? But now with the, you know, the N- NIL and you got the transfer portal. I think that it was just inevitable that this was going to happen. Now, with that being said, I, I, I don't know. We may start to get some different teams out there. I, I'm kind of happy now we get different dancers now to the party because this is when upsets happen. You just never know. This gives the, you know, the opportunity now for some smaller teams or some teams that would not have been invited to get in there and maybe pull off an upset now, you know, every now and then. So we'll see. It'll be fun though.
0: Again, I'm going to look at what would have happened in the last eight years where the college football playoff existed. I'll tell you what would have happened. 53.6% of the Power 5 schools would have had at least one playoff berth. If, you know, my biggest criticism of the current system in college football isn't that it isn't a true playoff, because it's not. It's an invitational tournament. Four teams get invited. My biggest criticism is that the entire Pacific time zone and the mountain time zone have not been allowed to participate. 94% of the playoff games have been played east of the mountain time zone. So now you suddenly have inclusion in the rest of the country. You, you, at least we have a dog in the fight. Like I don't think people care if you know Oregon or Stanford or Washington or Colorado or Arizona make the playoff and get beat. At least you're in the playoff, and it was decided on the field. It wasn't decided in some room where a committee said, hey, you're not worthy. And I think that's important. How did the Donovan Mitchell trade get put together? Adrian Wojnarowski gave the details. This is fun. Donovan Mitchell going from Utah to Cleveland. Here's Woj.
11: If Kobe Altman, Cleveland's uh, president, was in New York, on Monday night, he was watching Serena Williams at the U.S. Open. Uh, saw a reporting on uh, R.J. Barrett signing the extension with the Knicks, and the Knicks and Jazz talks had ended. So he picked up the phone on Tuesday morning. He called Justin Zanuck, the Jazz GM. They restarted a conversation that they've been having last week. And Cleveland had pulled out on Donovan Mitchell on Friday, and even Cleveland thought it was probably going to end up being New York. But they got in there, and Cleveland and the Jazz had that deal today. And Utah never called back to New York to give them a chance to top that Cavaliers offer. I think they felt they were negotiating in good faith with Cleveland, and they did the deal with Cleveland for the three unprotected first-round picks and, and some young players.
0: Clearly a lot of uh, discussion beforehand paved the way for this. And, and, you know, look, I just don't think the Knicks can get out of their own way. I think it's not accidental that you see certain NBA teams, Portland included, unable to sort of function. It's a it's a product of bad leadership, bad management, uh, you know, If Kobe Altman, Cleveland's
11: uh, president, was in New York.
0: Sorry, Woj, to cut you off. Pat Narduzzi, the pit coach, he beat West Virginia last night. Then he went on uh, Scott Van Pelt's show on ESPN. He took a shot. He took a shot at ESPN. Punch it. Incredible game. How do you best
5: describe the atmosphere, the stakes, and what your team did there in that fourth quarter? Well, you know what? It was a great atmosphere out here. I can tell you that. Our Panther nation uh, stood out. You know, I saw some stat that was going to be 75% West Virginia fans. You guys messed that up on ESPN for sure. Uh, it was certainly all pit here today. And uh, you I know, appreciate what the fans did today. They helped us win that game. I wasn't excited about how we played as a football team. We got a lot of things to clean up. Uh, but we told them it was going to be a fourth quarter brawl, and that's what it was. Uh, went right down to the last second of the game. And, uh, and our guys made some great plays near the end of the game. And that's what counts. Coach, just so you and I are clear, I, I got nothing to do with
11: estimating crowd sizes. I just I just read highlights <laughs> I and know you know.
5: Don't. Uh, <laughs> hey, you
0: disrespect. ESPN disrespected our fans, and they showed up today, and uh, I'd love to see that. I love that Pat Narduzzi took some shots at ESPN. They deserve it. So much of the narratives that are being fostered out there are fostered by the television partners. Fox is guilty of it. ESPN's guilty of it hell look across the political landscape in the last couple of years it's just obnoxious just you know stay stay in your lane report the news don't don't speculate that 75 percent of the fans are going to be west virginia fans when you know clearly the pit fans showed up right? pat narduzzi had a had a right to be upset with it it's interesting to me to think about the power and the influence that espn has uh clearly there's a propaganda machine that goes on there they're partnered with the sec And the ACC, we see it during basketball season more so in the ACC, but you see it during football season clearly in the SEC. I keep thinking about the Pac-12 partnering with ESPN. If they go all in with ESPN, I'm not saying this is right, but I think there's a chance that ESPN could bang the drum a little bit for the Pac-12 conference. By partnering with ESPN, are you not only getting a television partner but a propaganda machine? Think about it. That's Punch It Audio. The best sound from all around. What do you think about that, Anna, Steven, Sean? What do you think about that? I love that you, in one breath,
2: criticize ESPN. It is. ESPN, it's wrong. It's wrong. And then in the very next breath, you're like, well, but if they partner with the Pac-12, it could be really good. I mean, I'm just thinking <laughs> I'm changing
0: roles. I'm going from me into the Pac-12's shoes. Yeah. From the Pac-12, the thing that's missing is they don't have a Paul Feinbaum show. They don't have SportsCenter and Game Day banging the drum over and over and over for their product. Right.
2: No, I I get you. You partner with
0: ESPN, you get the machine with it.
2: I'm just on the journey of, you know, your your mind. You guys get that, Sean?
0: Yeah. yeah. Let's use the evil for good, right? (laughs)
6: Like, that's what you're kind of saying here. (laughs) I mean, and I understand understand because, I mean, when ESPN or Fox or any of these people find a narrative, they push it to no end. I mean, remember when Zion was in college? Like, that's Mm -hmm. all they ever talked about. And, you know, I think that I think it could be useful for a Pac-12 team, especially if the college football playoff is expanding. You may be able to get the benefit of the doubt with the, maybe a second team trying to get into the playoff.
0: I've talked about this at length, but ESPN, you know, there's part of ESPN that's a news entity. There's a bigger part of ESPN that is an event company. They are in the business of putting on college football games and selling advertisements within those games. So they have a conflict of interest that is natural here. They need their games to be important, probably more important than they really are. And so I think they do a wonderful job, and I think you see it when it comes time for the preseason polls and the rankings. They do a wonderful job of banging the drum for the SEC and the ACC programs and telling the world how great these teams are. And I think it affects the preseason polls. I think it affects the rankings. I think it affects the college football playoff rankings. I think it's an incredible uh, force. It's it's a hurricane of propaganda. And if I'm George Klyovkov in the Pac-12, I'd rather have that with me than against me.
7: I frankly. totally agree. I think it does affect the rankings, especially considering – Uh, You know, you look at this weekend, I I think Notre Dame is too high at number five, and I think that's why it's like, oh, the number five team is a 17.5-point underdog. Well, I think it's because Notre Dame's not actually five, and I think Oregon's not actually 11, like also a 17.5-point underdog. I, I feel like, you know, it actually, the rankings are determined based on TV rights. You know, Oregon's got this big game on ESPN. They're trying to market it. Same with Notre Dame. And that's why, you know, they're top 11 teams, and they're both probably a little bit too high. So I totally agree with you on the point that, uh, you know, this stuff matters. It affects their rankings.
0: Yeah, if you think about it, you know, in the preseason, and game has not been played, it behooves ESPN to have Oregon as a top 15 program. And, you know, the same could be said of Utah sitting at 7. And, the same can be said of George, like ESPN has to be loving that the preseason rankings came out. Well, ESPN plays a role in that. Like they have an audience that includes most of the people voting on those things. So ESPN spends a lot of time telling us what matters. And oh by the way, what tends to matter is the stuff that's on ESPN. Yeah,
6: and there's tons of tons of examples where top ten, top fifteen, top twenty teams are just terrible. Right. Remember last season it was North Carolina. They were, you know, supposedly yep.
0: LSU too. Yeah,
6: LSU. You know, North Carolina was like a top fifteen team with Sam How They lost the week one to Virginia Tech. Ended up winning six games, and they were really bad. Like this stuff happens. It's we have really no idea until we see them on the field. Is and, but that happens with everything, right? And so I think with like you said, if, if Pac twelve partners with ESPN, it can only help get the ranking up.
0: Do you embrace that as a Pac-12 fan, or do you bristle at it? 503-417-7575.
1: This is the BFT in the ATL. Presented by Chamba. Smoothies, juices, and bowls. Chamba is always the right play on 750 The Game.
0: I thought Portland State played well last night against San Jose State. Probably should have won that game. 21-17 was the final At Spartan Stadium, San Jose State won it. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to the Portland State players, specifically Ian Crocker. Got to give Ian Crocker some love. Uh, Ian Crocker was one of the volunteers who worked Camp Exceptional this summer and helped the kids of the BFT Foundation. He had a couple of BFT Foundation kids who wanted to go to that game who happened to be in the Bay Area And Ian Crocker in Portland State arranged for uh, those kids to have tickets left for them at Will Call. I don't know how many fans were at Spartan Stadium, but I can tell you there were a handful of kids who went to summer camp in the state of Oregon who showed up and rooted for Portland State uh, on uh, last night's game. But Portland State got paid $450,000 to go down there, play that game. They damn near won that game. You guys watched that one? I did not, but I did uh, check out the boxer. Yeah, late touchdown by Cordero on the
6: run, man. That's a tough way to lose, but, uh, you know, Bruce Barnum talked about it. They weren't going down there just to get the check, right? They want to be competitive, and it looks like they were.
0: They held their own. I think he's got a really good team. I think, you know, you have an opportunity there uh, uh, for them to win some games this season. Uh, But we'll talk to Bruce Barnum next week on the show. Anna and I, I I want to point this out because I got a lot of grief on yesterday's show. I mentioned that we had lunch at Margaritaville (laughs) Which is a chain restaurant? I get it. It was, you know, it was fine. Okay, it was fine. But I got my phone blew up. People on Twitter, you know, messaging me and shaming me. Food shaming you. Food shamers. (laughs) They were rampant. Uh, But we had dinner last night, guys, at a steakhouse called Howls. Let me tell you, off the hook. Great atmosphere. Great steak. Um. It's the kind of place that has a dress code and has a guy playing the piano, okay? Mm. So, really nice meal. Stop messaging me, friends. (laughs) And then today at lunch, we had another place we went to. Uh, I can't remember the name of it.
2: South City Kitchen. All right, South City Kitchen.
0: Really good. Heavy D, one of the loyal listeners of the BFT, recommended it. Thank you, Heavy D, for the recommendation. I rather enjoyed the fried chicken. (laughs) <laughs> really good. They said it was the best fried chicken that you could get in all of Georgia and I I will uh, I vouch for that.
2: Yeah, we're we're uh, quietly eating our way through yeah. this foodie town yeah. and uh it's been a lot of fun. Fried green tomatoes for me mm. and chicken liver and onions and uh We
0: had a good time at dinner though at house. Come on.
2: Yeah, we laughed our way through dinner. I I don't know what what was in the food we were, or the water, yeah. but we, we had, were, had a good time. <laughs> we were, we now, were cry
6: laughing. I got a question are you guys gonna take any food advice from the dragon people?
0: No <laughs> the dragon people I got I got two things I want to say about the dragon people <laughs> For people who don't know Dragon Con is in Atlanta. <laughs> 60,000 people dressed in costume uh, lined up in downtown going into different venues to get William Shatner's meet and greet and you know uh, talk game of Thrones they're in Anna uh, like they're in costume right there's a lot of spears, a lot of arrows, bow and arrows. A lot, a, lot of a
2: lot of everything just a lot of wigs and horns coming out of heads and wings and like accessories that uh, and lightsabers you know but yeah the the dragon people i don't know if the dragon fest people are as into the culinary scene no. i know the ones that were showing up and checking into the hotel they had large amounts of alcohol that yes. lo- looked like they had been purchased at costco they also had like a costco size you know, multi-pack of, like, popcorn chips. Mm -hmm. And, like, they were coming prepared. They had bought costco size bulk snack items. They're not eating
0: out. They're eating in their room. For their
2: their duration here. And they're
0: hydrating and waiting for their next meet and greet. That's what they're doing. I'm going to say something else. It it might come off wrong, but I don't care. I noticed something about the Dragon Con people, guys. Like, when I watch Game of Thrones, like, Daenerys Targaryen, she was kind of hot. (laughs) Okay, I'm not seeing like I'm seeing a lot of how do I put this guys that are dressing in costume a little bit nerdy. Okay, and it's not that different than college football fans. But I'll tell you what happens at a college football game that is not happening with these people dressing in costume college football games. Like you'll see attractive women who are college football fans. I'm not seeing a lot of Daenerys Targaryen attractive women lined up in costume, Anna. Am I being sexist?
2: Uh, you just need to look a little harder, John, no. and open your mind to what you deem as attractive. I come just, on. I don't, come on. maybe that's it. Maybe. Who's shaming that? It's just not come your on. cup
7: of tea. You know, it's it, not your cup of tea. Is Amelia no, Clark come. one of the celebrities that's signing?
2: Uh, no, thinks, no, she's too, so Daenerys she's too a there. No. Yeah. no, no, no. I,
6: I think it is a little sexist because, John, at football games and sporting events, you're going to get, you know, the big fat guys in the jerseys that don't fit. So,
0: like, I mean, yeah, same thing. It's true, except uh, I'm talking, like, we were in an Uber, Anna was in the car, and I said to the Uber driver, he said, look at all these people lined up. And I said, you know what you don't see? I said, you don't see, like, you see a lot of guys in line, but you don't see, like, beautiful women with them. You see people dressed like Vikings. And uh, not that Vikings couldn't be beautiful. If you're a Viking, hey, you know, to each (laughs) their own. But I just thought you would see maybe... Maybe I'm looking in the wrong lines, but I thought you would see more like, you know, you know, the uh, the warrior princess instead of, you know, women.
2: No, she's there. She just she just doesn't. She's a, you know, alternate version of Xena, the warrior princess. You know, I actually like it. I love the variety. I love that there's. There's a very loose theme of, you know, Dragon Con or whatever. It makes no
0: sense. The theme is too loose.
2: It is very loose, and that's what is very entertaining about it because you've got, like, uh, a lady dressed as Cinderella next to another, you know, Disney character next to, uh, you know, a stormtrooper. So it's, it's, it's all across the board, which is what makes it so visually entertaining and interesting. But when
0: I have an event like that, I need there to be some rules to the costumes. This is just like a Halloween free-for-all, and there's only one Halloween. <laughs> Coming up, the 5 at 5. We're in Atlanta with Dragon Con and the Ducks. <laughs>
1: BBFFT. Now, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, live from Atlanta, here's John Canzano with a bomb faced Truth.
0: We're in Atlanta, Oregon, Georgia tomorrow, Boise State, Oregon State tomorrow. Pac-12 has a big weekend ahead. We'll start the 5 o'clock hour, the happy hour here with uh, the 5 at 5. We'll also take a ton of phone calls this hour. This is your last opportunity To weigh in, tell me what you think's going to happen. What are you hoping happens this weekend? If you're a Duck fan, are you feeling better now about Oregon's chances to play toe-to-toe with Georgia than maybe you did a week or two ago or a month ago? I feel like Oregon's going to be in this game. It's a week one game. Who knows what could happen? But, uh, you know, gun to my head, i got to pick Georgia. I'm on record with my pick. I have Oregon winning a one-score, or excuse me, Georgia winning a one-score game. I think Utah is going to beat Florida, and I think Oregon State is going to beat Boise State. But I would love to hear from you. What are you thinking about as the weekend approaches? 503-417-7575. I'm now thinking about food because we were talking about that steakhouse last night. And I'm thinking about uh, this football game uh, tomorrow in Atlanta, right here. In, uh, you know, Anna, you keep saying... Oh, it's raining today. And I go, it's a dome. They're playing in a dome. And then the day before that, you said, oh, it's really humid. I wonder how the players are going to be. I said, they're playing in a dome. You realize they're playing in a dome, right?
2: Uh, Yeah, but I'll, I'll make that mistake at least one more time yeah. before kickoff tomorrow. Because right. I was thinking that today, too.
0: For yeah. people who are going to be following the Oregon-Georgia game closely on social media, um, com made a big hire. In the last week. I don't know if you saw the news, but Serena Morones, who is a longtime sports photographer who has shot for years and years and years uh, Oregon games, Oregon State games, Blazer games, Timbers, Thorns game. She has been hired. She's in Atlanta as well. She'll be photographing the game, so we'll have some really cool photos of fans and the pregame and Uh, You know, the early part of the game and as well as the game action itself. She's going to be on the scene throughout the season across the Pac-12 shooting for JohnConzano.com. Super excited about that. Anna, you've been in close contact with her. She's going to do a good job, I think, sort of making people feel like they're at the stadium.
2: She has such a great perspective on shooting a game like this and just shooting sports in general. I talked to her uh, earlier today or yesterday, and she was just talking about how, like, she doesn't follow the masses. She's always looking for what people might be missing, the emotional moments and the moments that actually matter in sports. And I just I love that about her. And I I think it's it's going to be a great partnership.
0: I just love that I'm hiring people like, you know, it wasn't uh, that long ago, five months into this thing. I I got to give a shout out to uh, all the people who have subscribed. If you're a subscriber now, you know you get the minute I file something, you get it, bing, in your email inbox. You don't have to wait for it. It's there for you when you're ready to read it daily. And I appreciate everybody who has been so supportive of johnconzano.com. But if you want to read me, that's where you get me exclusively now. And Serena will be shooting the photos. So the operation is growing now, and it's on the road in Atlanta with this radio show. That brings us to the 5 at 5, the five biggest stories going on. Let's do it.
1: The 5
3: at 5.
0: Well, I got a lead with the college football playoff board deciding to move to a 12-team playoff. It's about damn time. I wrote this today at JohnConzano.com, but years and years ago, I was covering Fresno State. They were a mid-major. They started a season 6-0. They beat Wisconsin. They beat Colorado. They were feeling good. They were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. They were a top seven program in the polls. But Pat Hill, the football coach at the time, told me. He said, you know, we don't have a chance. We could go undefeated, and they still wouldn't put us in the title game. It was the BCS at the time. We've since gone to a four-team invitational tournament, but the mid-majors are still on the outside looking in. And In fact, a lot of the Power 5 teams have been on the outside looking in, including the Pac-12 Conference which has had only two of the 32 berths that have been given to the playoff teams in the last eight years. Only two out of 32? That's 1 16th. I'm no math expert, but those are bad odds. This expansion will be more inclusive. The uh, the priority will be on getting the top four spots because you can get a bye if you're one of the top four teams in the rankings. But if you are one of the top... 12 teams in the final college football playoff ranking you will be included in this postseason that's going to include about 50 percent of the college football playoff power five teams over a 10-year rolling period i think this is a big improvement i'll call it a great start because i think it is one and i think it's difficult to get consensus among those who are making the decisions this is a good decision and it's number one in our five at five and a go number two
2: troubling story about uh, former Detroit Lions cornerback Stanley Wilson Jr. He's been arrested again for allegedly breaking into a home but this time police are saying that he took a bath in an outdoor fountain after he ransacked the place. This was a 30 million dollar Hollywood Hills property that he apparently broke into twice. Most recently at the end of August And the police said that he took a bath in that outside fountain with soap that he found from inside there's no connection the police are saying between wilson and the property or the homeowners now if that sounds familiar it's because it isn't the first time that he's broken into somebody's home back in 2016 he was shot in the abdomen while he was trying to break into a portland home yeah portland southwest portland he was naked and he was arrested again in Portland in January the next year for allegedly walking around a neighborhood naked. So this guy's got some issues that he obviously needs to work through, and now he's got a lot of legal issues that he's facing.
0: He likes to break into nice places, though, doesn't he? You'd think once the
2: guy got shot,
0: he'd learn his lesson.
2: Yeah, I'm just wondering what else is going on yeah. for him. It you know? feels
0: like there's uh, there's some mental illness going on right there, right?
2: I mean, former NFL player, is there a CTE going on? I don't know. So I hope somebody gets him some help. That's number
0: two in our 5
2: at 5. Number three is an interesting
0: story. We saw the story last week about the racial incident at a BYU women's volleyball match. BYU athletic director, uh, you know, has suspended and banned the fan from attending BYU games. Um, But uh, he's also apologized. But now South Carolina coach Dawn Staley has stepped into the fray. She has canceled BYU-South Carolina home-and-home basketball matchup, saying she's doing what's best for her team. The Gamecocks of South Carolina were scheduled to start the season at home against BYU on November 7th, then play at Utah in 2023-2024. Dawn Staley said BYU's home volleyball match is the reason she's calling off the series. She said, quote, as a head coach, my job is to do what's best for my players and staff. The incident at BYU has led me to reevaluate our home and home, and I don't feel like this is the right time for us to engage in this series. End quote. Duke sophomore Rachel Richardson, uh, who is African-American, said she heard racial slurs from the stands during the BYU-Duke volleyball match. BYU apologized. Richardson said that the school itself and players at BYU reached out to her in support. I think this is a misfire by Don Staley. I don't like it. I wonder down deep if she even wanted to play BYU. Because BYU is coming to South Carolina. The players at BYU, in particular the basketball players at BYU, didn't do anything wrong here. The university appears to have done all the right things at BYU. So I don't really understand Dawn Staley's position other than she just wants out of this game or maybe wants to to make a statement about this game. I think the larger statement would be putting her arms around this matchup and saying, look, as players in this game, we have to take care of each other. But Dawn Staley in South Carolina
2: taking a stand against BYU number four Anna go Shohei Otani added again he is the only player in major league baseball history to hit 30 home runs and record 10 pitching wins in the same season so making history I know that he's been compared to Babe Ruth in many ways but even Babe Ruth has not accomplished what Otani has accomplished Babe Ruth played from 1914 to 1935. He won 10 or more games with the Red Sox, but he didn't really start hitting until later. So let's see what happens, though, because unfortunately, Otani is playing for a team that is just continuing to suck.
0: Well, at least Otani looks better in a uniform than Babe Ruth did. (laughs) Come on. Okay. The Bambino. Yeah. Finally, the fifth thing in our 5 at 5, Detroit Tigers outfielder Austin Meadows. He's been out of the lineup, and he will be out of the lineup for the rest of the season. He announced today on social media that he's struggling with mental health. He's had a myriad of injuries in the past. He said he has told very few people about this, but he's been dealing with it privately. He's been working with health professionals He's 27, appeared in 36 games last season. He missed some time last season with COVID-19, vertigo, and tendonitis in his Achilles. Now, he hasn't played since mid-June. He's a good player. And he said he's been back in the clubhouse, but he's just not ready to get back on the field. He was acquired from the Tampa Bay Rays a few days before opening day this year, hit 27 home runs last year, was hitting 328 as of May 1st, but uh, he just said he's grateful for friends and family and he's not doing well. I applaud him for doing this. I think there's probably a lot of people out there that are struggling with mental health, mental well-being. Hell, I think at different points in time, I think, uh, you know, a lot of us have struggled with different things. And I think Austin Meadows, I I applaud him for talking about it because I think it helps people to know that you're not the only one feeling the way that uh, you're feeling, like Austin Meadows talking about it. I think Kevin Love did a great service in talking about it during the NBA season a couple of years ago. I think at different points we've seen some of the stigma of mental illness and, and, uh, and mental health uh, you know, evaporate a little bit, and I think that's good. That's our five at five, five biggest things going on. Let's, let's do them in reverse order. How important is it, guys, uh, Austin Meadows, talking about what's going on with him?
6: Oh, super important. I mean, mental health is everywhere right i mean i have it in my family i'm sure you guys know people that have it as well like it's one of those things that isn't touched on enough and you know my wife has a high school teacher you know she tells me lots of different stories from these kids and it's amazing what some of these kids have to go through at such a young age And you know it's going to affect them later on in their life. So I think it's important just to be able to talk about these type of things and get it out in the public, right? Like it shouldn't be shameful to have a mental illness. You just need to be, you need to embrace it and have people support you. And I think it's good what Austin Meadows is doing.
7: Yeah, no, I always appreciate people that are vulnerable and, you know, not afraid to say the uh, the uncomfortable thing. And, you know, I think there's a stigma around athletes. They make a lot of money, so they have to kind of, you know, just uh, not talk about their mental health and, you know, just kind of be a robot and just continue to play. I think that's totally untrue. And, I you know, I always appreciate when people like Kevin Love, DeMar DeRozan, those are some people that have came out and talked about mental health in the past.
2: I think it's key because especially in, you know, masculine sports like basketball, baseball, um, there is a stigma. Like people don't want to be seen as having mental health issues because obviously they're worried about their playing time and their performance and their contracts and when there's so much money on the line, you know, I kind of liken it to um, members of the military that I've interviewed over the years. And how with military members, they're shy to talk about mental health issues, too. Like they're dealing with PTSD and trauma from, you know, IEDs. And uh, they don't want to talk about it traditionally. Uh, And it's the same kind of thing where they don't want to be seen in any way as weak. But I think the more that people have the courage to step up and discuss and be authentic about what's going on with them, the more, you know, beneficial it is to all of us, frankly, to be real about the things that are going on in our lives when you know things, things just aren't great and, and that you need actual professional help. And, and when you look at athletes,
0: I, I mean, you, you touched on this Anna, but when you look at athletes, big, fast, strong, right? Easy to adapt. Why do we go to NBA games? I go because I'm watching athletes do things that are amazing And in football games and watching big, fast athletes run. I watch Serena Williams. She is a fantastic athlete. But when they start talking about their real challenges, like Serena talks about pregnancy and motherhood and uh, aging, and you have athletes talking about um, dealing with mental health issues, it normalizes it. It brings it home. I think it's good for people to hear about that stuff. Let's talk about Otani. Um, Doing something not even Babe Ruth has done. He's hitting home runs. He's winning games as a pitcher. I, I I just can't stand, though, when people say, he needs to get out of Los Angeles, get off of that garbage team, that the Angels, because they're wasting him. He's wasting away. It's bad for baseball. We hear the same argument when it comes to players like Damian Lillard. Oh, he has to get out of Portland. Needs to be seen. What's wrong with just being a great player on a team, maybe that's struggling a little bit? Am I am I out in left field on that one? No, I don't think you are. Um, I mean,
6: I, some people don't necessarily have winning at the top of the priority list. I don't know what Shohei Otani has at the top of his priority list. If he really wanted to compete for a championship, maybe he would ask out. But he seems like he has a great situation over in L.A., and I can't blame him for it, right? He's going to get a lot of money. Same with Damian Lillard. Like, I can't can't say that he's wrong for wanting to stay in Portland and being in control of the franchise. So I don't have a problem with it. I, I don't think that the players... Oh, the teams, anything? I don't think the teams are the players, anything. And as long as he's performing, I mean, what else can you say about the guy? Because he is awesome, and I think he is, you know, far and away the best player in Major League Baseball.
0: I yeah. just hate that the inclination, the knee-jerk reaction when a great player is on a team that's struggling is he needs to get out. Like to me, that's. That's counterintuitive. Like, what the Angels need to do is do a better job of building around him. And if there's any pressure that should be on, the pressure should be on the Angels' front office to make that team better. The pressure should be on the Blazers' front office to make the team better. I just hate, like, the national narrative becomes, oh, this is bad for baseball, that the game's best player is on a bad team.
2: Yeah, but isn't it kind of painful, though? Like, to me, and I'm just the casual fan, it's kind of painful. Like, isn't he on the team with Mike Trout? Yep. Are they both on the in the Angels team? Yes. So, isn't it a little bit hard to watch two of baseball's best players be on a team that isn't going to make even the postseason?
0: Yeah, they are twenty-seven games behind the Astros in the American League West. They are fifty-seven and seventy-four.
2: That's what I'm saying. Is like for me, it's you know, you. I would ideally love to see them both on a team that actually does well and to to maximize. That talent. I'm not saying that they necessarily have to go to another team, but you like you're right. It's on the front office to build the team around them, and it emphasizes the importance uh, of baseball in particular of how important it is to have a full team. Like you could have the two greatest pitchers, but
0: suck as a team. But Kevin Durant is like the master of that, right? He he goes to a team, and if you know the team is not struggling or the situation isn't what he wants, he suddenly is disruptive and wants out. And we're watching that in Brooklyn. So. My intuition or my inclination is to see great players succeed where they are and then forget the national narrative. Forget the Stephen A. Smiths and everybody else who's saying – This is bad for baseball that Otani's on the Angels. It's bad for baseball. No, it's great for baseball that he's a terrific player. Hey, Angels, get your act together and improve that team so you don't waste his window. Yeah, but basketball's
2: a totally different sport. Like Kevin Durant, you know, like you can have a star player that can really carry a team all the way to a championship as long as there's some decent players on the team. But baseball is an entirely different beast.
6: But we, we kill players like Durant for leaving and going to the Warriors when it was about basketball. He did it for basketball reasons, right? Like if he wanted to win a championship, which he did, this was the best opportunity to go. So if Shohei Otani says, well, I want to go to the Yankees, are people going to kill him or are they going to say, no, that's a great move because you're going to join a really good team for a championship? I don't know, man. I, I think it's whatever he wants, man. If it seems like he's happy in L.A., I would love it. But, you know, I'm with Anna. Like I do want to see him play in the playoffs, but it's on the Angels
0: to do that. Angel's gotta get better, but you know, again, it annoys me because, you know, look, if you're a Blazer fan watching Damian Lillard, you're you're going, Hey, Lillard's what we have. We need to get better players around him. Meanwhile, the national narrative is on all these talk shows on Fox and ESPN and whatnot, they are the narrative becomes he needs to get out. That's to me, that's not the solution. The solution is the Blazers or ownership needs to get its act together. And and they don't have their act together, and that's what they're wasting.
2: But you can you can say that until you're blue in the face, and they've clearly shown that they're not getting their act together. So why wouldn't the national narrative be he should go somewhere where there is a congruency of vision, where he has an actual possibility to win a championship? No one's going to blame
0: him. I'm just saying that's not like that's to me when when I hear that that narrative and it's out there and it will be out there the minute the Blazers start losing it'll be out there when the postseason starts in baseball should Otani be on the Red Sox should he be on the Yankees should he be on the Dodgers you know everybody's gonna want that but I just don't I don't like that I don't like the idea that if a player is great on a bad team the solution is get him to a good team no the solution is that organization needs to get its bleep together and and put some players around him that don't squander the opportunity. Like you know, as a Blazer fan, you're watching Damian Lillard, right? You're you got this window where you got a couple of years left, and then suddenly there's going to be a decline of his skill set. You're paying him. You've paid him all this money. If you're a Blazer fan, you haven't won a Western Conference Finals game. You haven't won a, a you know. You haven't even. I'm not saying you've been to the finals. You haven't even won a game in the conference finals with Lillard. That's that's a sin. Jody Allen, that's a sin. Bert right. Cold, that's a sin. But the solution isn't get rid of him and set him free and let him go win in Sacramento or Milwaukee or somewhere else. The solution is get your act together, and if you're a Blazer fan, Put some pressure on that front office to get some players in here that will support him.
2: It's not happening. And I can tell you, I think there's a lot of Blazer fans that are very, that are just disillusioned. Like, they don't think it's going to happen. They're just wishing that the whole Phil Knight thing would have actually happened so that the Blazers could have a a whole change and have an actual chance at, you know, competing in the postseason. Well,
0: if your loyalty is to the player, I get it. But there should only be, like, the player's agent should be the only person who's saying that. It shouldn't be like the fan base going, you know what, he's too good for us. He should go to another team. Like that's not that's that's not true fandom. It's not. Am I wrong? Am I preaching to myself here? <laughs> like literally. <laughs> like so so let me get this straight. So Shohei Otani and Mike Trout should go to the Yankees. And the Angels should just suck forever? Like and Damian Lillard should go, no, like, but like how go much away time, from Portland.
2: How much time do they need to give the Angels their quality playing years before they go look for a better opportunity? Exactly. That's,
0: okay, I'm going to exactly. quote
2: Don Draper. That's what the money's for.
0: Well,
6: They're signing these contracts, right? Yes. Like They don't that... have to play for these teams if they don't want to. Shohei Otane had a chance to play for the Yankees when he came over. He chose to go to the Angels because he, be he wanted to be on the West Coast.
0: He wanted to be on the West Coast. He wanted to be in a— a place where there was a large population of Asian uh, fans, potentially. He was closer to home. He was, you know, not all the way across the country if he wanted to fly home. But Damian Lillard, same thing. You know, he's getting $50 million a year. Guess what? That's what the money's for. Okay. The other part of this is loyalty to your team, loyalty to the fan base. And I, the, I'm just saying the national media members who chronically say, These players who are playing for teams that are not very good, they need a change of scenery. They're only saying that because they are catering to the larger markets new york and boston particularly on the east coast where they want
2: to have all these great players so they have more to talk about i don't think that's the only reason they're saying it because i think that conceptually it is painful to watch people with that much talent not be able to achieve the greatest milestones in their individual sport because they don't have the support around them to get there,
7: yeah, I think we want to see these players win. You know, like that's how legacies are made. So no one's talking about Giannis being on the Bucks anymore because the Bucks won. You know, they they've been winning. So I don't think it's a small market thing. I don't think it's like a, every star player needs to be in a big market or on a big brand. I think it's, you know, it's like Anna's saying, how much time can you give the Angels? How much time can you give the Blazers before you don't trust them? And then you just, you want them to trade away their star player that has the potential to be an all-timer that's not winning anything.
6: But nobody is talking about a star player going to Milwaukee either. And that's because it's in Milwaukee, right? If a real star NBA player wanted to win a championship, he should look to be going to play with Giannis because they are one of the best teams at the Eastern Conference. But they're all saying, go to New York go to Miami, go to Boston. It's never about these small market
0: teams. Dick Butkus never won a Super Bowl. Randy Moss, uh, Eric Dickerson, Tony Gonzalez, uh, Terrell Owens, Jim Kelly, Dan Marino. They never won a Super Bowl. Uh, But what did they do? Most of them stayed in the city that they had the bulk of their playing career, and they fought their backside off trying to win. I admire that more than a guy saying, you know what, it ain't going to happen here. I'm going to a winning city. Uh, I don't like it. Maybe I'm an old-timer. I want your take on that. 503-417-7575. I'm live in Atlanta.
1: Live from Atlanta, this is the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: I think Oregon's going to hang tight against Georgia. What do you think? Tweet at me at John BFT. I'm live from Atlanta. I'm in Midtown Atlanta in the beautiful uh, building and the home to 92.9 FM, the flagship station for the Falcons and the Braves. Got to thank them for setting us up here in this beautiful studio overlooking Midtown Atlanta. Uh, Anna is here as well. Uh, the Ducks and the Georgia Bulldogs are in town. Oregon arrived uh, yesterday. Is that right? Yesterday? They arrived yesterday as That's a right. team and they will, uh, my days are running together, they will play tomorrow against Georgia, Dan Landing's very first game. We've been talking a little bit about how competition happens in sports. Lillard and Shohei Itani, are they the same? Is there a comparison that can be drawn between great players succeeding in cities that just aren't having team success? Let's go to the phone lines. The number's 503-417-7575. Rick's in Portland. Go ahead, Rick.
10: Hey, John, how you doing? Doing well. Good. Um, big fan, um, big duck fan, so I know
9: <laughs> you're talking about that. But back to the Blazers, I've been a fan a long time, and I, I have to say I totally agree with their take on it. I think, um, you know, it's all about building around the player, and I just think it's kind of like the ownership. Like you said, they're they're wasting his prime years. We're not building around him. and It's frustrating as a lifelong Blazer fan, to be honest.
0: Do you think, do you support the idea that fans should give Damian Lillard their blessing to ask out of here because it hasn't happened? Because I think Anna kind of supports that.
9: I mean, yes, I heard her say that, and I understand where she's coming from. I, you know, I wouldn't be upset with him if he came out and said he wanted to leave, but it would still hurt, and I, I just don't agree with it. I think... Um, We've just done him wrong by not building good teams. We were all wasting his
10: good years,
0: you know? Yeah. I, I, um, think Anna, I think Anna's flat wrong on this one. I think oh, she's my gosh. No.
2: It's the legacy. It's yeah. the – the, it, I'm talking about, like, somebody's legacy. And so Damian Lillard, if he stays in Portland, yes, he's going to make boatloads of money, right, in his time here. But I'm talking about the legacy that he could have had had he had the right – components around him. And I think any reasonable person would be like, oh my gosh, let him go to where they're actually going to, you know, build a team around him that has a chance. I
0: have a theory on that. And I want you guys, Steven, you and Sean in particular, to tell me if you think there's truth to this. A, Damian Lillard knew because he's got a good agent in Aaron Goodwin. He knew he could make more money with a Supermax deal, staying with the team that drafted him. I think that's part of why he has stayed in Portland. And B, I don't think Damian Lillard would be Damian Lillard if he were in another market that had other star players. I think he would be really good and a star, but I don't think he would be Lillard because I think statistically he wouldn't have the shots, he wouldn't have the ball in his hand as much. Disgust.
6: I think you are 100% correct. Um, I know that Damian Lillard wants to win the championship and he's made that very clear, but I think... You know, coming from where he came from, he's going to be making over $500 million in his career. I think he's just okay with being in Portland and being the star player, being talked about as maybe the all-time best blazer in the history of the franchise, right? Like, he uh, he owns the city, he runs the city, and like these fans are saying, they would understand, and I think Damian Lillard has done a great job here in Portland. He deserves all the money he's gotten, but I do agree with you, man. I, th- I think... I think he knows exactly what he's doing by staying here in Portland and not asking to come, not asking to go to a different team.
7: I agree with the first part um, that Lillard, he's staying, you know, because he's making so, so much money and that he's comfortable in Portland and that at this point, you know, maybe he's not chasing rings, but he's chasing other accolades, like being the best blazer of all time. The second part, I have to push back a little bit. I think Lillard's legacy could be added If he were to join, which he won't anymore, but if he did join a team like the Lakers who won it in 2020 or the Celtics who were in the finals this past year. I think if Damian Lillard is the starting point guard even if he's alongside LeBron James, even if he's the number 2, you know, with Jason Tatum whatever, I I think, you know, that would get that would give him more buzz. I think that would uh that would really help his legacy rather than, you know, being the number 1 on the 8 seed in Portland.
0: If you're saying if he left Portland and did that because I think if he left Portland and did that, the narrative is you couldn't do it on your own. Yeah,
7: I, I agree with John. I think I think but, that but right now the narrative is he never won anything. He was just stuck in Portland and, you know, he, he, never, he never even won a game in a Western Conference Finals. What if he goes like Anthony Davis, you know, like Anthony Davis went and was the number two and he's an NBA champion versus Damian Lillard. He's kind of just stuck in Portland, not winning anything.
6: Well, it's the Kevin Durant thing, right? Kevin Durant is good enough to win a championship as the best player on the team, and he did it in Golden State. He was the best player on those teams. But people discount those championships because they had other players around him. I think if Dame had won a championship, he's probably even if he is the best player. As John said, they're going to say, "Well, you couldn't do it by yourself. You weren't the superstar guy in Portland. You needed help to do this."
2: I think. Can we even say that Damian Lillard is the best Blazer of all time? It's, yeah, it, you I, know, he it's didn't close. lead a team anywhere I, it, close to a championship.
0: It, it's a it's a big debate and. I feel like if Bill Walton had just stayed healthy in that second season after the 77 championship, this would not even be a conversation. Well, isn't I it? Think isn't it Clyde? Isn't Clyde the best player in Blazer history? I think he ha- Clyde got him to the finals. Clyde won a bunch of Western Conference final games. And, you know, you. I think there's some other players in this, but it's a different era, too, where statistics are easier to come by and minutes and shots are easier to come by and the scoring is easier. So you can't really do it as a scoring comparison, but Lillard's in the – you know, he's a top-five player in in franchise history, but he's, I don't, I'm not ready to say he's the greatest Blazer ever. I think people watching him now will say that because it's the same bias that we all have. It's that recency bias.
6: I agree. I agree with John. I th- I, see, I think it's Clyde and then Dame and then Walton, but I think Walton would have been the best had he stayed healthy, and he's the one that got a championship to Portland, right? Like, Drexler never did. Uh, Dame hasn't done it. I don't know that they ever will. Yeah. but you know dame dame has a good legacy here in Portland that's the thing you know his legacy on the court in the in the nationalized may be a little negative but in the in the Portland area and you know the Rip City area he is loved by pretty much everybody
0: yeah I think he I think he runs a real risk if he leaves Portland and goes somewhere to the point of if he doesn't win and he leaves and chases a ring like Carl Malone did with the Lakers or whatever the narrative is that you were desperate it was the end of your career you couldn't get it done when you were at your best you didn't get it done when you weren't at your best and man I think it really hurts him I think the better thing for him to do is to stay here and write it out as long as he can and that would make
6: him different right like there's not many people anymore that are staying in one spot is literally
0: here. Anna is
2: literally dropping
0: her head as I say that
2: it's oh, yeah, so painful the, to hear you say that LaMarcus Aldridge what happened he left he went and got rings with the Spurs Good for him, right? Am I wrong? Did he? Right?
0: I, LaMarcus Aldridge left because the
2: Blazers weren't
0: into him anymore. Like, you you have – Neil O'Shea didn't want LaMarcus Aldridge around. It wasn't his draft pick. And, and no, when he went to the Spurs, yeah, he was going in pursuit of, you know, all this championship stuff. He didn't get a ring. He left, and he's still a nice player. He's a seven-time All-Star, but, you know, he – he, you know, his legacy is not going to be that LaMarcus Aldridge is not in the conversation as one of the best Blazers of all time. Yeah, I don't I, understand. I, the money, the money that Lillard has been paid in Portland is is supposed to be transactional for his time and service. Why does Portland owe him anything more than the money? They don't. And that's the tough part is that
6: he is so loved in this area that I think a lot of people don't want to hear that but they they've given him all that they can money wise right and it doesn't it hasn't hamstringed them from making their decisions but they need to put r- the right players in the right spots I think Dame's doing the right thing and I think you're right if he were to leave it, he's running the risk of hurting his legacy a little bit I think it's I think he's got to stay and he knows that
2: Oh Do my th- gosh I totally yeah. disagree. What about Rashid Wallace? He he left and he he got rings right? And I was yeah. happy for him. Yeah. So yeah, if Damian Lillard goes somewhere else he, and he wins a championship ring, I'm going to be happy for him. That's fine. You can be happy for
0: him, but it doesn't mean that the you know the the organization doesn't owe him. Hey, he's put in his time here. It's not going to happen for him here. Let, go be happy somewhere else. That's not how it works. That's not how it should work. Unfortunately, I think too too often in sports we give this uh, you know we we sort of romanticize the idea of loyalty. It's cool. It's been different. He hasn't been one of those stars like Chris Paul and James Harden and others who have said, uh, you know, I need to be somewhere else. Uh, I respect that about him, but you don't owe that to a player. All right, I want to take your phone calls. You tell me. Weigh in on this subject. Also, it's a Friday. We're in Atlanta. What is your peeve? We do it every Friday. So I want your phone calls on the topic or your biggest peeve. That's next.
1: This is the BFT in the ATL. Presented by Jamba Smoothies, juices, and bowls. Jamba is always the right play on 750 The Game.
0: This conversation's been bugging me. Anna and I disagree on it. Damian Lillard, Shohei Otani, can you draw parallels between those two guys? It's my peeve today that we're even having this discussion. I want you to weigh in. We do it every Friday. This benchmark is tricky. I'm going to let Stephen play it. I'm going to wait for it to finish, but let's play. What's your peeve? And let's wrap this conversation into it.
1: What's your peeve? Oh, that pisses me off. That pisses me right off. Call 503-417-7575 and tell Kinzano what's your peeve on the BFT. Hey, Brought to you by Revolution Dental Implant Center. A smile revolution, one day solution.
0: I got it. I actually got that right today. Uh, I want your peeve. 503-417-7575. I also want to talk about this topic. We've been kicking this around. I'm live in Atlanta where Oregon and Georgia are playing. And having, uh, you know, they're going to play a football game tomorrow. And this is going to be uh, a game that the entire country is going to tune into. And it will be a game that will shape the narrative of the Pac-12 conference. This is all great. But uh, let's wrap this Lillard conversation into the fold. Sam's in Portland, and no doubt Sam will agree with me. Sam, what's on your mind?
5: Oh, my God, John. I mean, my biggest pet peeve is unrealistic, unreasonable fans. John, do you remember when Rod Woodson left the Steelers to go for one year to the San Francisco 49ers. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yes. I am a Steelers fan. A team. I love the players. There's players I love, but I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And when Rob Woodson left, I was upset because I think he took what, two hundred thousand more than the Steelers were willing you know to offer. It didn't impact his legacy. He's a Hall of Fame. He won a Super Bowl. These fans that think that these players owe them something, they don't owe you anything. Enjoy the time that they're here. Enjoy what they've done and let them make their money and make their their history and their career. I love Damian Miller. He's a great player. But if he wants to go somewhere else because he doesn't feel like the Blazers aren't doing what they should to give him a team, and they're not. We all know that. They're not doing enough. They have the money. They're not doing what they should to support him to make him want to stay. So Damian wants to go, go, and the fans, get over yourself.
0: Be a team. Fan. <laughs> oh, Anna's very happy oh, with your call. Get out of here, Sam. Get out of here. Thank you, no. Sam. No. Well,
2: I, I actually think we're saying the same thing. Because we're, we're talking
0: about different things, I think. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so we can't even argue on whether we're talking about the same thing. You said earlier, and I totally agree with you, Sam, uh, John. but, John, you said earlier that it's a sin. It is a sin. I think any yeah, reasonable person we can great. look at the Blazers and say, it is a sin that the front office has not put together the right combination of people to help damian lillard achieve what he what we know is in him what he can achieve i believe it and, but- and and so like why why would i feel like he should stay here and that it would be better for him to stay here i understand He's going to make hundreds of millions of dollars. Like again, a reasonable person be like, okay, I can I can sit tight for five hundred million dollars over the lifetime of my career. You're damn right, a reasonable person would pick. say that. Sure, but I'm talking about like overall his legacy. We can all say like, gosh, what a travesty it is that he has not been able to achieve what we know is his potential because he hasn't had the right tools around him.
0: All right, let me uh, let me offer this. Bo Nix was the quarterback at Auburn. Okay. And Auburn's seasons were just mediocre, and Bo Nix was plugging along. Um, I think it's fine if Bo Nix wants to jump in the transfer portal and go to Oregon; that is available to him. But I also think like like media members shouldn't have been sitting around going, "Caleb Williams' talent is lost, and you know it's it's wasted at Oklahoma. He needs to be on the big stage. He needs to be in L.A. at USC." Like I I don't get that. Like, I don't get that. I don't get why people say Shohei Ohtani needs to be on the Yankees or the Dodgers. I don't get why people say Damian Lillard needs to be out of Portland to matter. I think that that would be great for the media entities, especially the national ones, but I don't get it.
7: I don't. Does this work for college sports, though? I mean, because, you know, in college sports, oftentimes you can be on a bad team and be a really good player. And, you know, and then suddenly you're in the NFL. And then that's where those conversations happen. Same with college basketball. You know, like you can be on a bad team and really stand out. And then, you know, once you're in the NBA, I feel like that's when the conversation starts. Like, you know, if you're a really good player, it, we want to see you win. Win titles is the ultimate goal. So, I, you know, I'm not sure the college football analogy works.
0: Well, I think it will with the portal. And, I think you know, the careers are shorter. And we all look at professional careers when we talk about legacy. But with the portal available, yeah, I think I think it it becomes a thing. Like, let's just say Justin Herbert, he was on you know a team that was coached by Mark Helfrich that wasn't very good. You know, let's just say Helfrich had been uh, you know had been allowed to stay for that second Herbert year, and it was another five and six or six and six and. You know, his mediocre results. I think there would have been some cries from national media members saying Justin Herbert needs to go somewhere where he can really shine. And I just don't believe in that. I think there's a, you know, there's a transaction that is made when a player signs a contract. It's a transaction that's made when a player takes a scholarship. And I support the portal to a certain extent, but I don't want like people saying players should move just because they need to be in a major market with a great team. Mike in Portland's called in. Let's get him on. Mike, talk some sense. Yes. Yeah. Well, You know, what do we always hear said by, about a player that's great?
3: That he makes the players around him better. Now, if Damon Litter was so great, then you don't need to search the world for better players because he should be able to make the players that he already has great. Another thing how can you say uh, Damon Lillard is better than Sabonis, Rod Strickland, um, Lionel Holland? He's not better than those players. So anyway, man, that's my take. I'll talk to you later.
0: Yeah, I, I would take Lillard over some of those players, if not all of those players. <laughs> but I, that's how I would say it was better. But I agree with most of Mike's call. Doug's in Tiger, Go ahead, Doug.
9: Hey, Mike. All right. Hey, John. Did Mike just mention Arvia Sabon? bonus? Yeah. Nice, good man. It's my favorite player of all time. But anyway, um, about the whole Lillard thing, I'm I'm just going to go on a kind of an addendum, if you will. But uh, uh, my love for basketball and the Blazers and all that stuff was when I was a little kid back in the late 80s, early 90s. But it died in 2000, and it died even harder in 2002, and it died even harder as years go by because a fun, cute little stat, a reason why the NBA is a god-awful sport quote-unquote, uh, sport nowadays is pretty much just WWE entertainment, yes, I'm going that route, um, is since 1980, there's been 14 teams in the NBA who have won the title. Almost all of them are big market. Since 2000, how many Super Bowls have been won by different teams? There's been 12 different teams. Yeah. So there's a 20-year difference, and there's only two teams, two-team difference. Yeah, And it's it, that's just why... I can't watch. I haven't watched the M- NBA that much in the last 10, 15 years because it's so corrupt. And a little, you feel like you is, don't
0: have a chance. You thought you have no hope.
9: No, 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 you yeah. don't. Because uh, in my, I mean, whether you believe that uh, corrupt ref or not, back in the day, uh, Kim yeah. Donaghy, he was on. Uh, he was being interviewed by Rashid and Bonzi a few years ago, and he talked about the ins and outs of how refs. Yeah, we had Donaghy
0: on bad. the show. Yeah, we've talked all about that. But I think you are right. I think it's part of why this playoff expansion is great. Leave it here. The
1: BFT in the ATL. John Canzano is on. 750 the
0: game. Oregon, Georgia, in Georgia. Relative home game for the Bulldogs tomorrow. I'm broadcasting from Atlanta. I'm in Midtown Atlanta. Anna's here along with us. We've been talking a lot about loyalty and sports and uh, love to talk a little bit about this football game. Rick and Eugene wants to talk about Georgia and Oregon. Go ahead, Rick.
10: Hey, John. Love the show, by the way. Um, I got a two-part take here. Uh, first of all, um, I don't know if you watched any of the, the Atlanta preseason games, but man, does Marcus Mariota look like he's playing at another level. I have not seen him look that good. He's like his, his college years or his uh, maybe his first year in the NFL. What a lot of people don't uh, take into account, they kind of dismiss him as like he's some third-string quarterback, is that, you know, that guy, when he was in Tennessee, he had like three or four different head coaches and three or four different offensive coordinators during that four or five years. That's not easy to adjust to, and from what I remember, like the offense they were running wasn't any type of offense that he they they didn't they didn't make the offense work for him. They didn't call the plays that Marcus Mariota is good at. Anyway, enough of that. Yeah. Oregon and Georgia tomorrow. Like I've listened to I listen to your radio show every day. I'm drive back from Junction City, and a lot of people are not giving Oregon any type of chance to win this game and when you look at the all
0: right all right all right all right right. we got to go but it look this is going to be a great football game we will break it down next week oregon georgia tomorrow